dedicated to the memory of George Floyd and all who have experienced any form of racial inequality. This is Schmitty, and you are listening to Talkin' Schmidt, the podcast that just reached episode 75. Today on the show is longtime friend Chris Pastris, a.k.a. Dune. Chris grew up in Jersey, skated for Shut Skateboards early on with the likes of Barker Barrett and Coco Santiago. He used to come down to my Menlo Park house and skate our ramp back in the mid-90s after he moved west to SF. Spending some time with World and trying out Blue, he and Jason Lee started Stereo out of Deluxe Distribution and turned it into the iconic brand it is today, coming up on 30 years. We did the interview twice for this one because the first time was before the George Floyd incident, so we knew we couldn't release this thing without diving back in and discussing current affairs. After that, though, we go into a little bit of a lighter side with some laughs, favorite memories of SF, and the history of stereo, including coming up with the name. Honestly, like it was when I first lived down here, I would just smoke weed and go to the record store. And then like I was looking at all these records for inspiration. And finally, like one day I was like, why not just stereo? Because I would like pull pull a, a header for like a blue logo. And go down to, you know, Irvine and be like, hey, can you make this say blue? You know, but then by the time we'd started stereo and we're talking to Thebo and um, Jeff Clint and Tommy, I was like, what if we just called it fucking stereo? Like, what if we just hit it on the head? I don't know about all y'all. I appreciate everybody fighting, protesting, trying to make this world a better place. But for me, each Tuesday marks a weekly challenge, an accomplishment, something creative, somewhere where I can get in touch with a friend or a peer. i just like to say I hope that no one takes these episodes with disrespect that we're trying to have fun during these tough times. I got nothing but love for all y'all. And uh, check out who I got right here this is chris dune pastris and you're listening to talking schmidt it's cool like tonight is the night here we go again just give it the old cause turn all big dogs in Schmitty. 96 times schmitty thanks schmitty we on schmitty talking schmidt that's called going to the hospital bitch i be <laughs> shit my pants you roll the decks it's fucking deep i don't give a fuck about your fucking multi-million dollar numbers who is this guy he thinks he's tough shit what's up i'm here for Greg Smith. Here's the deal. I recorded this interview with Chris before the horrible incident where George Floyd was murdered by a police officer, and we all know the current situation, and Chris and I discussed it, and it was very important for us to 
get back together and include a little dialogue um, about that incident. So, Chris, how are you? Good, man. I'm good. Hanging in there. Yeah, it's yeah. been a wacky couple months for all of us, I feel. Um, but especially this last week or two, um, it's been extra nutty. But, uh, but you know, things are... Things are relatively calm on the home front for me, thankfully. Um, you know, home with my son, so I, unfortunately, I'm not I'm not uh, able to join a lot of the protests and such because I'm home with a five year old and doing a lot of homeschooling. But um, yeah, I felt we couldn't uh, do this interview and release it on Tuesday without um, discussing this topic. It's just, you know, I, I don't want to be um, tone deaf to what's going on in America and, and just in the world. So here we are to discuss it. Um, and yeah, I, I know for a lot of us, this is a really uncomfortable topic because, you know, we, a lot of us say the word skateboarding is sort of colorblind, which, you know, in a lot of ways it is. We we're, we're blood brothers and that were united, especially in the eighties and, you know, early nineties, we were all we had a lot of times. And, you know, you, one of your friends would be Hispanic, one black, one white. It, it, did, it kind of didn't matter. There were so few of us that we just were bonded by skateboarding, you know? Um, so I, anytime I discuss race, I, I definitely get a mixed reaction from my peers. Um, but this is just something, this is just a conversation that's unavoidable because we saw what happened to George Floyd. And, um, you know, I think it's been a wacky couple months. We had the jogger get shot. Uh, Ahmaud Arbery, we had Breonna Taylor, the nursing student, get shot in her home, right. you know, half asleep. Uh, we had the woman in Central Park, Amy Cooper, just threatening to have some black man arrested for basically being black <laughs> and just walking through the park. And, and she, you know, she knew, knew the right language to, to scare the crap out of this guy by saying, I'm going to tell the police you were threatening my life. Um, and that, that, that set off a lot of receptors for me and I'm sure a lot of people because the guy was just walking through the park and this woman just basically was yelling at him for being black pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had the George Floyd thing. And, and I think, not thing, that major life-changing event for, I think, like everyone in society, um, we, we all were kind of, I don't, I don't want to say waiting for something, but we all kind of watched the news cycle with these other stories and going, oh, that's not so good. But this one, there was no mistaking it. The guy was lying there on the ground, helpless, and a, a police officer had his knee on his neck for nine minutes, you know? Um, and it was just so graphic that I couldn't even watch the entire thing. No, nor could I. Uh, and he's and he's I, saying I, I can't breathe, and it's sad, man. I, I'm I'm almost at a loss for words, but I have to bring the words and try to explain it, what I feel, and and a lot of that was anger at first and frustration, um, and for me, a lot of this harkens back. I remember, you know, I grew up in you know middle class to upper middle class suburb in New Jersey for the most part. I was, you know, shipped around. My my grandmother lived in East Orange, which is you know not a very nice neighborhood. <laughs> Um, we, we were first in Edison, which wasn't as nice a neighborhood as my hometown would touch in. So I've, I've had all kinds of experiences, but I had a lot of friends drop the N-bomb when I was growing up and then look at me and be like, oh, I forgot you were, oh man, I'm so sorry. I, you're not one of them. And that was sort of one of my first things with race where I would, I would think, what's one of them? Who, who's them? What, what is this N-word? You know, what, what are you talking about? Is this, and the way that they discussed it it was like almost like 
in a, a person that was less intelligent um, and disposable somewhat. You know, that was the way they used the word. Like, ah, it's just a stupid N, you know, and I'm not even going to say the word because I don't even want to give right. it power. But um, that was growing up in New Jersey. And then my mom and I um, were at Newark Airport and saw it wasn't a George Floyd incident, but it was pretty damn close. This, the police just jumped some guy in the middle of the, of the um, runway or the street, I'm sorry, excuse me, pulling up into Newark airport. And they didn't even have the decency to pull the guy off to the sidewalk. They just pounded his head in the side in the pavement, in the middle of the street, um, you know, in front of the American airlines terminal or whatever with cars passed whipping by and, beat the crap out of the guy and my mom was screaming at the top of her lungs and yelling at police officers and I was like 12 13 years old and I was sort of like almost I would I I was like mom ah are they gonna I was scared they were gonna turn on us you know Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of what I see on the news cycle I felt then at 12 years old you know Um, and uh, yeah I I hope that all the all the senseless looting um, I think that's sort of hijacking the movement a bit because this is about justice, you know, equality, and ultimately, hopefully, empowerment for more black, you know, humans on this earth and on this planet. Sure. um, You know, I I don't want it to be belittled by, you know, a few people knocking over some garbage cans, starting a fire in Brooklyn and burning down uh, where someone lives, you know what I mean? And a lot of neighborhoods that are being um, torched are where black people live, you know? So it's like, you may have your cause, sure, I appreciate it. Black Lives Matter, but if you burn our fucking houses down, <laughs> where are yeah. we going to stand? So, um, yeah, I've got a lot of mixed emotions about all. Well, and to add to-, to, to add to that, I would say that it's attracting people that aren't for the cause. And, yeah. you know, the anarchists and these people that want to just destroy stuff are using this as their opportunity. And like you said, it is overshadowing what the whole thing is about in the yeah, first place. Yeah. We're trying to get justice for a man who had his life senselessly taken away from him over what, what seems to be a counterfeit $20 bill. So just just put that mm. into perspective. 20 fucking dollars. Yeah. You know, Um so, yeah, and I'm not quite as angry as I was a few days ago. I'm starting to kind of process um, everything. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's good that the policemen are being brought to justice, it seems. Um, but I really hope it happens. And this conversation, I mean, how many times have we heard a similar story, but there was no video footage? Or right. we just sort of were like, oh, we don't know what really happened. So, right. you know, Brianna Taylor, we weren't there. You know, there was no footage of it. And this is just boom. You know, it's like... We all knew it was happening. Um, and just look at the statistics, man. I, I, you know, it's so dispropor- disproportionate with black men getting pulled over, black men and women, um, and just the arrest versus the crimes and just all of it, the socioeconomics behind it, how little opportunity blacks have. And, and I don't know what it is inside people that makes them look at someone who's of darker skin and think they're disposable or not important or not worth uh, educating. Um, and, you know, people will say, oh, well, everyone, everyone's lives matter, whatever, you know, but it's like, let's be real, man. Like there's, there's poor white people toting guns in the South that ain't getting fucked with. Let's just uh, say that. Sure. And, um, don't you dare be black and try to pull some of the, some of the Southerner uh, 
things that happen in society because your ass will get locked up immediately. Right. You know, using the inflammatory language, carrying a shotgun in your truck, whatever. Maybe you're a hunter, whatever. But it's just, it's not a level playing field. And, and it hasn't been really since this nation was founded. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like we were making a lot of progress. You know, it didn't necessarily have to be Obama, but he was a great leader, you know, and, and he, he made a lot of sense and he united people. And now we have a president who's dividing us and, and making us feel angry at each other for no reason. Right. You know, so. Um, well, I was going to say, do you think uh, perspective wise is one of the major things to do is make sure everybody gets out and votes and like looks into these issues so we can start the process? Definitely. Definitely. I need, and I think we need to explore what's uncomfortable within ourselves. You know, right. um, I'm, you know, I'm of mixed race, but I happen to be raised by two black women and my black uh, godfather. So that's who I identify with when it comes to family. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is Greek, you know? Um, so I, I definitely am not um, one-sided about this discussion. I look at it from all angles, but it's just change needs to happen, man. And I, I think this might be the catalyst we needed um, for many reasons. So, uh, hopefully this brings about change. Um, I think the current administration, I, I, I mean, Trump was radio silent for what, 48 hours or something after this, after the nation basically exploded. And that, that church thing was just ridiculous. And then holding the Bible was, was it even, it looked like it was upside down and not even. Yeah. Shooting people with rubber bullets. and t- Yeah. It's, it's, and DC is, you know, it's really racially divided, you know, so it's, it's sad, you know, and when we had Obama, we had someone that was trying to bring together white, Hispanic, Asian, you know, and, and it, it made sense. Now it's making people want to storm down the walls because, because there's all this divide, you know, um, I hope change happens, you know what I mean? Um, And I'm doing what I can stuck in my little, you know, I'm planning on contributing to the, the NAACP defense fund and whatever I can do, from home with a five-year-old, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I hope that skateboarding sees this. You know, I know with skateboarders, we don't want to discuss race, and I get why, but it, it's it's just become too important of a discussion to ignore, you know? And, yeah. and I think that, that we all don't want to be uncomfortable. Who wants to be uncomfortable, you know? Nobody. Who wants to talk about not having money or not being the same or being, you know, not having the same opportunities? No, Nobody wants to talk about that. So, but it's it's really... It has to happen for change to happen. Right. Here we are. Here we are. Um, and during the pandemic, especially, like, my, my instant thought is, like, how are we going from social distancing to these huge groups gathering? We have to be responsible about this. And a lot of people aren't. Uh, I think the protesting is super important, but it gets a little foggy when there's guys out there with their skateboards breaking windows and stealing from companies that are going out of business already from the pandemic possibly and just doing all this other stuff and then like getting together without masks and like who knows what that's good like is that gonna spike the numbers and then we're in lockdown longer i think everyone needs to try to take a deep breath and be intelligent about how we go forward and as what I'm trying to do is learn. 
I want to hear from you. I want to like research documentaries. I want to educate myself so that when I do make the proper movements, it is the proper movements. It's not just a reaction. You know, I saw a lot of backlash on those black boxes. Like it was supposedly the thing to do. So I think a lot of people gravitated towards it. But then you realize, wait, now nobody wants to look at Instagram because it's all black boxes. What everyone needs to do is just shut the fuck up and let people talk that this is their time to shine and tell you how they feel and invent their anger and, and talk about like ways that we can improve. Yeah. The black square thing was a little, it, it, I, I think, I think people's intentions were right, but when they use the hashtag black lives matter, it just buried, you know, ways you can contribute where to, where to gather, you know, instructions, what was really going on with George Floyd, learn about him, learn about the crime that happened, learn about everything it just buried it, you know? So, um, you know, there was a lot of black people speaking out, like stop, you know? Um, and even, even just solely relying on black lives matter, excuse me. Um, just solely relying on that is, is not necessarily enough. And there's a lot of great, uh, you know, causes to get behind that are based in African-American causes. Um, and, and it's not just black lives matter alone. You know, it's like, there's more education out there, you know, I mean, I did a little bit this morning and found the NAACP uh, Legal Defense Fund is what I'm going to donate to because it, it supports African-Americans that can't afford legal counsel. Okay. Because you know? that's a lot of the problem. It's like you get pulled over and thrown in jail. I mean, it's all over Instagram. I'm sure everybody's seen some of this, but there was a, a video of a guy getting pulled over by a cop and he's like, what did you pull me over for? What, what did you, for being black? And the cop couldn't disagree with him. He was like, kind of shrugging, you know? Um, and how do these people that have been wrongly accused of something defend themselves? You know, they just get, a, they get thrown into court, the court system with a public defender that doesn't give a fuck and they wind up in jail, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, that's scary, you know what I mean? That's scary for a lot of people and there's politicians and nurses and off-duty police officers that this has happened to now that are just, just happen to be black, you know? So I think the truth is coming out and um, the conversations just have to keep going and people like yourself being open to having this discussion, that's, that's step one, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and I did a, a panel for Vans uh, Shoes just talking about the topic of race and it was Ray Barbie, uh, Beatrice and Chima Ferguson and we just talked about race and you know just our black experience and it was in front of all of the um, the staff and Van Doren and everybody and you know I gave everybody a huge hug and thanked them because I know that's not an easy conversation to have at any mm -hmm. company or at any in any group of friends you know um, but if we don't have those uncomfortable situations there's just going to be more and more George Floyd's you know so we got to right. get uncomfortable we got to fight for justice we got to fight for equality. And then ultimately, hopefully, this cr creates somewhat of a level playing field for blacks so they feel empowered. Sure. <sighs> yeah, it's just such a, I mean, to say this is like one of the worst times in our lifetime, I think it's fair. You yeah. know, like maybe the Civil War was worse, but like in United States history, this is a huge historical time that we're just devastated you know yeah i mean and i i posted a video of martin luther king talking about rioting um in 1967 and i swear it was 53 years ago it seems like it was yesterday 
which is so scary, you know, that we jump back 53 years. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's taking platforms like this to talk about it, to get skaters and our friends to think, um, to follow the correct leaders, you know, to donate to the proper causes. Um, I think not to blame one person, but to get Trump out of office, you know, sure. uh, for starters, I think is all going to affect the positive change we're, we're hoping for. But even like locally, what I'm learning more about is, sure, the presidential California is going to vote this way, probably, right? But all these local propositions and these things within your local community, those are things that you really need to be educated on and vote on. And those things, your vote is going to matter. It's really important to get in there. And if we need to change the system of the police or like even the mayor or whatever, that's going to be so much more of an impact on your community. And so you, we can't encourage you enough to get out there and vote. Definitely, definitely. And, and I think, you know, let's face it, police have a tough job. You know, it's, it's not an easy job to do what they're doing, but we, we hire them you know, basically, essentially, as, you know, um, citizens, and we, we trust that they're going to do good, you right. know, and when they don't do good, they need to go, you know, because that's, that's what they're there for, to keep law and order and, and fight for what's righteous. And that motherfucking situation was not righteous, you know, no, so man. Um, here we are. But yeah, I, I feel, you know, this is a discussion to hopefully make people think, but I, I am 100% like, down for how skateboarding is just so open-minded and you know gay and lesbian community it doesn't matter what color you are it doesn't matter what creed you are it doesn't matter how yeah. much money you have i mean you know how it was like one of our homies wouldn't have money for a board someone that sponsored would give him a board absolutely and, and that's an important aspect of this obviously you know skaters staying united um but we we can't be ignorant you know we can't pretend that there's no racial issues or, or socioeconomic issues so um, I think skaters shouldn't be afraid to have these type of discussions because we're smart and, and we're creative and it's people like us that are the tastemakers and that change the fucking world, you know? So it's important for us to have uh, every discussion and every topic discussed amongst ourselves because we affect change. All those, all those clowns in high fashion are following us. <laughs> They're wearing the thrasher hat because yeah. they think it's cool. So okay. We're tastemakers, and, and that, that, with that comes a responsibility, especially if you work for a company or you're a sponsored pro or, you know, whatever. you got to be ready to talk to the public about different topics because you're, you're not just a robot on a skateboard. You're a no. human being. Yeah. And, uh, we have to set the no example. Athletes, you know, we, and, and government officials or police officers, we've got a social duty to talk about stuff that's wrong. Absolutely. Right, <laughs> for that matter. Yeah, and I just want to add to um, part of the joy of a skateboarder is we are probably as well or more traveled than anybody else. So we go to all these cultures, we acclimate to their world, and we enjoy it and we appreciate and we learn their cultures. You know, you go to Africa, you go to South America, you go to Australia, wherever you are, you love being there and. And I think that's a big part of what we're all talking about. We're all human beings. Let's fucking enjoy it together. Yeah. If anything, society can learn from skateboarding. I mean, you go anywhere in the world, like you show up, you know, in Hong Kong or whatever, you know what I mean? Russia with the skateboard, like everyone's going to be like, yo, what's up? You're a skater. You know what I mean? You meet at the central place with the ledges or the local park. And I think society could learn a lot from skateboarding because we're like the ultimate 
social experiment slash melting pot. Right. <laughs> you know, so um, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm, I'm glad no. we got to add this topic to it, Greg. And um, I love I'm you, sure. brother. I love all my fellow skateboarders, especially those that have like been in my life like yourself. Um, so let's, no. let's break down the walls. Let's, I'm glad to get it. together. You know, it's, we're, we're one, you know what I mean? All of us, regardless of race, creed, um, you know, sex, all that it's, we're, we're one, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I'm thankful that we got to discuss this and, uh, love you like a brother. Fuck. Yeah. Love you too, man. Let, one last thing before we go. I just, I, I wonder if you'd be able to share some things we're looking for. Like what, what can, what are you hoping for? What can I do? What can we all do? What are some of these steps like that people are looking for that like, it's not the flavor of the week. It's actually a lifestyle. And like, you know, I don't know, reading certain books, uh, donating money to certain causes, like not everybody has money to donate, but like, what kind of things are you thinking? Yeah, Shmini, that's a great question. I know a lot of people have been uh, cooped up at home and wondering how they can get involved or how they can educate themselves on uh, all that's been going on. Um, and yeah, I, I think a, a great starting point is the National Resources List via Linktree. It's also at the link in my bio if you want to get to it that way. Um, but it's got information on George Floyd, um, a whole compilation. It's got information on bail funds for those who need help, mental health resources, um, black history information. It's a pretty comprehensive link. So once again, that's at National Resources List via Linktree. A couple other um, places you can get informed. I would say the Instagram account for Black Lives Matter is, is a great follow as well. That's just at BLK Lives Matter. Um, if you are leaning more political towards November, at Democracy Now! is a great follow. Um, I want to see things change in our government moving towards November. I'm sure we all do. So those are uh, a couple links right there to uh, hopefully get you educated. And yeah, maybe join a peaceful protest. Um, you know, like I said, they've all seemed to take an, a turn for the better. So get out there with your fellow citizens and discuss what's going on. And uh, we always have each other here as skateboarders to discuss where we want to see change happen in the world. And I'm very thankful for this opportunity. Uh, my heart goes out to George Floyd's friends and family, especially his beautiful daughter. Um, I can't imagine what, what they all must be going through. So let's pray for them and let's stay in touch. Let's stay proactive. And uh, yeah, let's have one love for each other as skateboarders to make this thing right. Absolutely. Society has placed these, uh, these sort of fear triggers in our minds when it comes to people that are different uh, racially or people that are different in you know, socioeconomic status. They've placed these, these triggers that you know, people, I, I mean, even me, it's as crazy as it sounds, there's still times where I'm walking down the street and I see a, a white woman grab a person across the, across the road. You know, like I'm going to mug her. And, I'm, I, and there's times where I go to a, a grocery store and a clerk follows me around the entire store, especially if it's like a Target or something, you know, just assuming I'm going to steal something. Right. So um, I think it's digging deep and getting real with yourself. Um, and, you know, we've all got pre preconceived notions of, of, every, of everybody. You know, I, I could have a preconceived notion about someone who was white or, or, you know, Asian, whatever. But I think it's looking inward and saying, I'm not going to live like that. Um, and having compassion for people that are less fortunate than yourself. I think that's uh, a lot of where Obama's cause was. And, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, um, 
we're all equal and don't, you know, blacks don't deserve any extra attention, so to speak, type of attitude. But the system's broken, man. And, and we need to just face that and start to help those in the African-American community and, and help, you know, blacks globally, not even just here, but um, help them get recognized, man, because we've got like an institutionalized racism that started with slavery. And it, it in a lot of ways, it hasn't gotten a whole lot of, a lot better when, when, you know, I see a woman think I'm going to mug her when I'm walking down the street, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not poor, <laughs> you know, I'm not rich, but I'm not poor. So um, I think it's just exploring those, I don't know if you want to call them inner demons or inner thoughts, but I think people just need to get real with themselves and do whatever they can to not racially judge another human being that's put on this earth to live and to have equal rights and to vote and to eat and feed their children. I love it. Um, I just want to say you're a longtime friend and I do treat you as a brother. Big love. You're always welcome to come on here and we can talk further in the future, watch I'm things develop. This, hey, big love, man. You know it's from the heart too. I know it. I yeah. know it. And even the skateboard community in general, like I feel so much love. So um, I think I'm going to end it on that, my man. All right, that sounds good. Thanks for sharing all that. Is there a good song we can throw on uh, to transition us into the other <laughs> interview? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Excellent. All right. Fuck yeah. Chime in anytime, Chris. Love you. Big love. for another First Impressions with Timothy Donald McKenney. First Impressions of one of the leaders of style, Mr. Stereo himself, huh? Doom. How the hell do I even get to do this, Greg? You know how lucky and privileged I feel I get to talk about Chris right now? It's EMB. Back in the day, one of those classic sessions that you wouldn't believe unless you were there. I remember Solomon Agar doing switch kickflips, dialed every try up the block, on flat, on a James Kelch. But here's Dune, I think he's wearing a blue shirt. And he had half cab heel flips dialed with his eyes closed. And he had it every try up the block to manual, even to fakie. But I swear, I don't think he bailed one. He at least half cab flipped up the block every fucking try. This is back at Nam, classic sessions, you kiddos wouldn't remember. But uh, us guys do, because we'd sit down when the sessions got heated and watch Mike, watch Doom, watch the legends of skateboarding rip it up. 
hang out with Kelch, laugh our asses off at his clown show. So uh, those are my days as a child, taking the train, taking the bus up there, and seeing legends like Doom kill it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Greg. This is fucking insane. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Matt D. 1831 Market at Guerrero, as in Tommy. Come see us. Real, Antihero, Crooked, Thunder, Venture, Spitfire. We're here every day of the week except the big holidays. We've got a curb and we've got smiles on our faces. Come let us get you stoked. All right, all right. Today it's episode 75, shining bright like a motherfucking diamond. We are blessed with the legendary Diamond Dune, Chris <laughs> Pastris, baby. <laughs> Dude, I like that. I like that intro, Greg. I got to hire you, man. It's happening, man. I'm stoked. Dude, I'm stoked we made this happen. Thank you for your patience. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been a wild couple months. I've mostly uh, been substitute teaching with my kid. <laughs> um, so to get to do this is something special. It's fun. I, I, look think, forward to, I look forward to more of this this summer. It's been a weird right. two months. Yeah. I mean, we're all learning patience. If, if you're yeah. not patient, you're, this is not what you want. <laughs> totally. And learning the digital age, like just learning all this tech stuff with you today, I realized how incompetent I was. I thought uh, I was tech savvy, but I, I learned a whole new level. What's up, buddy? You want to say hello to my friend Greg? What? Doing a little interview here. What's up? Dune baby. Baby Dune. <laughs> Dooney. A.K.A. Yes. Hank. A.K.A. Moneyball. All right. I was uh, fucking around with a little idea for intros today, and I was thinking Chris, Chris Pastris, Dune, Chris P. And then I was yeah. like, did you ever get called Crispy? Uh occasionally by like girls in high school that was really? never, that one never took off no dune was already like coming in by by like by like mid high school everyone was calling me mardune oh yeah that caught on through rodney and the skaters even though there was a handful of skaters everyone called me dune so that was my nickname from like 14 on and so, so i got a little bit of crispy that was probably like elementary school Ah, uh, I yeah. would think like when you're like skating, it's like oh, crispy footage. <laughs> you <laughs> know, you could do crispy. Hey, I never clips. even thought about. I never <laughs> thought about that one. Yeah, yep. I think in the '80s, crispy was somewhat derogatory. Now it's kind of like oh shit, that shit's crispy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like butter. You know, you'd be like butter. Butter yeah. is not good. I don't no. want like butter. Right. Um, how did Dune come up? Uh, you know Rodney Smith. Uh, co-founder of shut skates yeah he was like basically my brother um my both my parents were school teachers and they worked like after school programs so they didn't get home till like seven eight o'clock at night most nights so um his mom was my godmother so i wound up staying over there and more time more times than none because i had two brothers and a sister and a slew of other kids that uh rod's mom was babysitting i wanted to just stay there I, and i just like made a little impromptu cot and i had one drawer and I was like, I'm not going home. There's two, especially when skating kicked in. Like, Rod was the man, you know. Like, once I got interested in skating, about 12 years old, he had like all the action nows and skateboarders and 
you name it. Like mid eighties, all the I saw every first issue of Thrasher. You know, like I remember the Blender cover and just being like, "Wow, this guy must be such a trip." Yeah. Like, you know, and then learning about Gons. This is like eighty four. So right. I basically like never wanted to go home. So I spent the school week with Rodney, and um, and that's where I soaked up like most of my knowledge. And Rodney makes uh, uh, nick- nicknames for everybody. Like it's just part of his. Hold on, what do you need, buddy? Go for it. So yeah, Rodney makes these nicknames up for everybody, dude. He's got them for everybody. He, ca- he calls food juicy cakey. <laughs> he calls girls chickies. It's just like he he'll just spew out like. 10 lines that mean nothing to anyone but him and who knows him, you know what I mean? Right. Oh, you got a little side of whippy there with a little, uh, oh, you know, you like a juicy cakey, juicy cakey, pa-dow! Ah, oh, yeah, you got it in there, pa-dow! Yeah, flip, flip a little revert. Yeah, cruising, cruising, cruising. Like, <laughs> you're like, what? I mean, I understood it because it was like the language that he taught me to speak, but right. it's like early skateboard hipster talk before there was such a thing. I, everybody had a nickname, and there was this kid in my grade in my grade that I was friends with, and his brother was like a super like astrophysics style nerd, and his name was Martin. My friend was Toddy Toddy Hong, and Martin Hong was like this biophysicist or something, and like as kids he, he was like super intelligent, and Rodney would always tease me by saying, "You're not my brother. You're you're uh, you're Martin's brother, Mardoon," and I would go like, "No, I'm not. I'm not Mardoon." I'm not Martin's brother. And you're like, yeah, you are, Mardoon. And it's, it just started as some pointless teasing, you know, and then it, it, sh- it shortened to Dune, and then everybody loved it, and it caught on, and it wasn't that negative. That, not that it was meant to be negative anyway. He was just grilling me, just, you know, ribbing me like an older brother does. So yeah. there's no reference to the novel. Not really. I mean, Rod made that stuff up. Like, I don't even know. It's just like half stream of consciousness, half reference a quarter just rod sauce. I don't know where he comes up with it. <laughs> Let's get some rod sauce. Like my buddy Ken Habarda was Harbad. We got Harbad. Harbad. Harbadu. Harbadon. Harbadu. Harbadon. Harbadu. And it just be like, what? Harbadu? Harbadon? Took off. I got to get Barker Barrett was, ah, what do you got? Charker Charret. Smarker Smarret. Clarker Claret. Like, just anything. Like, he just couldn't help himself. He had to, like, come up with nicknames for everybody. So right. a lot of them stuck. Stuck yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Huh, okay. Because you were born in, and raised in Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. P-Stone's favorite state. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> P-Stone was not too far. He was, like, Union or Union City. Uh-huh. Um, and me, him, Felix, Coco Santiago, we took a couple uh, Northeast road trips together. Oh, rad. Yeah, P-Stone ripped vert. Oh, he ripped everything. Jump ramp. Yeah. I, I recently saw I tied with him in a like a Dover contest in New Jersey, and we were both 14. Crazy. So wow. I'd known him that long. Yeah. It, it was so crazy. That fucker would just come up with shit. Because like, I knew him for a while, but I didn't know him in the beginning of my life. But he had references to like... We probably crossed paths. I was there. I got. Oh, I, I saw he you. He was, dude. Pony, greasy ponytail. <laughs> he found a way to get every everywhere, man. Dude, he, didn't, he didn't give oh, a fuck. Man. He would. He would sleep in a trunk. You know what I mean? He would like sleep outside. Yeah. He, he just wanted to go. You well, know? tell me about the early days in Jersey because you you did know Coco before yeah. San Francisco. Oh yeah. Well, no, he he went. To, he, he was in SF. He was in Jersey. 
went to SF like when he was pretty young, like back like 10, 12, then came back to Jersey when he was like 13, 14 or something okay. and had all these stories like, oh, you guys don't even know, don't even know Tommy Guerrero bombing down the hills. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. You get San Francisco. Like, and we'd always be like, what? Tell us a story. Oh, man. Me, Archimedes, Mark, Mike Arco, Arco, Shafeway Curb. You don't even know. Tommy came through, frontside board side, the whole entire thing. It was fat. You don't even know. Fuck. <laughs> Telling us stories about, like, Danny Sargent and, like, you know, TG and Orb. And we were like, Bryce. Oh, Bryce. Yeah. Best photographer in the world, man. And you just listen, like, trying to soak up some California knowledge because we didn't have any, really. Other uh -huh. than magazines, you know? Okay. So yeah. was he kind of instrumental in drawing you to move to San Francisco or not really? Not really. I mean, okay. you know, we, we had moved our, our – I rode for Shut when I was like 14 till about like 16, um, 16, 17. And then I got – the whole world thing happened and um, and Coco went his own tip ways. He moved back to, out to San Francisco. We reconnected a couple times, but – Nah, we were we were really tight when we were way younger. Um, okay. And we didn't have a falling out or anything. It's just we, we moved on to our own shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that first little click was like Felix, myself, Sheffy when he could make it up, Sean Sheffy when he could make it up, yeah. Billy Waldman, Barker. That was like a ride or die crew. Like we traveled up and down the East Coast, and um, Shut was like getting kind of like a reputation. You know, I kind of liken it to Dogtown. I I don't. Not to take anything away or be like, yeah, we were Dogtown. I will not be that kooky guy. But it's just, it had such its own vibe. Like, we showed up. Jeremy Henderson gets out. He's, like, 25 years old. There's, like, weed smoke piling out. There's a fucking boombox. Then you see Sheffy, Mike Kepper, Felix. And they all look like grown-ass men that are, like, all mixed race. And, like, kids in, like, Maryland are just, like, dumbstruck. Like, oh, oh I'll just sit down, dude. These guys are here. And we just start blasting the music. It was like a breakdance crew or something, you know? It was like, yep, shut, shut, turned it out. Again, now we're going home. Right. <laughs> Packing so, up the van. We're our, in our misfit crew. So that, was that your first sponsor or was there yeah. an earlier mm -hmm. one? Nah, it was shut. Shut. Um, yeah, and, you know, because I was there during the whole thing, at first, I was just kind of like the little flow bro, you know what I mean? But then I got officially on a little bit later as we traveled to, like, contests and stuff. Uh -huh. um, but, yeah, and I think part of moving on the world was, like, wanting to get out of my bro's shadow. As much as I loved it, I wanted to do my own thing, you know? Sure. Um, so, especially when you're, like, 17 or 18, you know? Um, yeah. But, yeah, show was the best, man. I can't even describe. We had nothing, but we were so stoked. Right. We even made it like we drew, drove all the way out to Arizona for the finals, some NSA finals. So, and Florida was like a couple times, like North Carolina might as well have been like you guys going to Oakland. Like we'd be like, oh, there's a there's an East Coast contest. We're there. No money, no hotel rooms. <laughs> it was hilarious. It's Rogue. crazy. Like how did we, we, a lot of times I'm talking to people from that generation. We're like, how did we, we didn't think about it. We just went. And we yeah. didn't have money. How did we do it? it was I like, mean, and I think it. like we had no internet. So you kind of like, you just had this drive that you had to get there. Like, right. oh, there's a, there's a contest in North Carolina. It's an East Coast contest. Oh, of course we're going. Alabama? Yeah. yeah. Well, how else are we going to hear about skateboarding? <laughs> how else would we have seen Chris Markovich? You know what I mean? There was totally. no internet to see these people. So like, it was part of your gig, you know? And even the moms knew then like, oh, okay, we'll see you guys in a week, mm. you know? Kids would never get away with that shit these days. No, no way.
mom will be like, you're going to what? Verdugo Park. Mm, I don't know about that one. I'll well, pick you now, up at 6 p.m. Well, they're Googling it on the internet, too. <laughs> like, what's the, how safe is this place? Yeah. No, that's, Verdugo's actually a really safe one, but that's okay. a bad joke. But, yeah, it's like, I can't imagine, like, my mom, I mean, she knew my friends were good people. Like, she really trusted, like, Felix and Rodney, of course, and then Mike V. You know, oh, Mike yeah. was, like, a sober vegan most of the time, you know, that was, like, super, all he did was skateboard, you know? Yeah. He didn't really fuck around with anything illegal at that point. <laughs> right. Um, so we were we were cruising, you know? She knew I was in good hands, so I was just on the road nonstop. What, uh, what drew you to skateboarding originally? Um, how did, your brother, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'd seen it, honestly, one of the first times, Rodney, of course, and he worked at a skate shop, um, which was like also a, a ski, wait, it was like, I think it had windsurfing, surfing, snowboarding, and skateboarding called freestyle. And there weren't like, there were no waves for like 40 miles in the central jersey there was no why are you starting a surf shop yeah it was the fashion you know but but they had their mediocre like you know moderate to mediocre skate set set up and rod was allowed to do the buying so he had like fucking my first board was like a kendall mini and then a, a blender mini and he had all the magazines and this dude had moved to our neighborhood from california that was a 70s surfer dude all i know is his name was dave and he there was this little embankment on our street that he would just like flow around like fully like power carving. And that was like even Rodney's first visual to skateboarding. That was probably like 74, 75, 76 or something. Uh -huh. And I'm like, at this point, I'm not, I haven't found skating till about seven, 79. And then I got a plastic board, I think from Rod. My mom made me get a helmet and then I started observing, right? And like doing it. And I took out a skateboard book from school and it basically showed you how to tic-tac how to 360 and how to acid drop off a curb. And that was before, like, I'd even gotten my hand on Rod's book, like, mags. So I was like, oh, I got to read this skateboard book. Doing acid drops off of, like, benches and stuff, like, in, in, like, 80 or something. But then Rod started getting, like, the magazines from the store. And that's when it just, the doors just blew open, you know what I mean? Because I was like, oh, shit, fuck this little school book. This Tic Tacs are nothing. Look at this. These guys are, like, shredding pools. Right. And I remember, like... He forever he had the Alva poster of Tony with the hat doing the front set air with the pool on fire. Yep, and that was hanging above my above Rodney's bedroom wall, and that was one of the shots that like just totally drew me in. Like I was like, I don't know what the fuck that dude is doing, but I need to be doing it. I'm blowing it if I'm not doing it. Like that's that's living. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just the gear, the pool, the fire, like his board, everything was like. Whoa! That is what I should be doing. Oh, man. And, and a couple of thrashers, honestly, like a couple of those magazines, like the Gons interview where he kind of like jumped around and made uh, like was almost fucking with the interviewer back then. This is like 84. I think right. he had like the tweaked boneless on the cover. Uh -huh. Might have been two separate issues. I don't know. But but I, I distinctly remember reading his interviews trying to figure out. He, he talks about Chavo and he's just all over the place. And oh, like, yeah. This guy's fucking cool and weird and he's got painted grip tape. That was legendary. That opened my eyes to street skating. My brother, we had the early VCRs. So you don't even have to ask me any questions, dude. Just turn, right? Just press play. I just nah. go. <laughs> so we had, uh, we had one of the early VCRs at Rod's house. 
and we somehow got a copy, I think through the shop, of the first Bones, the Bones Brigade video show. Okay. The first Bones video. I think they had some promo before that, but it wasn't really out there, but that was their first real video. And Lance starting off with like the bomb drop off the roof and pushing yep. through the streets and hitting the parking block. That's when it all like came like to me, like, Oh shit. You know, I it's like, I didn't have any pools. I wanted to be Tony Alva, but that wasn't going to happen. You know? Um, so seeing Lance just cruise through the streets, I was like, oh, okay, that's it. That's, that's my style. Right. Uh, and then like by the time future Prim primitive came out, there was enough skaters in our neighborhood to where it'd be like, I'm Tommy G. I'm Caballero. I'm Tony Hawk, and we would just skate through pa as through packs of ten and, and packs through town, pretending we were like the Bones Brigade. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'd say those couple things, like the earliest issues of Thrasher, Skateboarder, definitely the Bones Brigade video show, and Future Primitive. And then by Future Primitive, we'd met Mike V, and we were there the day I think it's in Future Primitive where Hasoy Ollie's the wall at the Brooklyn Banks. Yeah, I think that's the one. Um, and we were there that day. We happened to see Hasoy and um, Olsen and Hackett. So it's trip, man. Yeah. Damn. Early New York City. New York City helped a lot too, man, because that was just like the melting pot. And the banks is where, even if you were from Connecticut, Long Island, motherfuckers from Florida, like Maryland, everybody had to come to the banks, you know? Uh -huh. So like you knew if you were at the banks two, three times a week, you'd see everything there was to see in New York City skateboarding, you know? That's right. where everybody met up. And, yeah, so that played a huge role in, in the formation of Shut and just New York City in general with skating. Mm, I remember that. There was, like, a doubles photo, maybe, a Coco and somebody, Ollie and a Gap. Uh, Sheffy. Yeah, that Sheffy, was in Midtown. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was, like, our, our treks uptown. Like, with the banks, we, you got, we got so spoiled, you know. Like, half the time we'd go into the city, we'd just ride the banks. And there was a couple spots around there downtown, but every so often we'd get like Bill Thomas or a photographer and we'd cruise and push all the way up to like the Harlem banks because we had a photographer, you know, mm -hmm. and that was like a hundred something, you know, so we'd skate the entire city if we had a photographer, <laughs> which we did probably right. five times. Yeah. Yeah. Spike Jones came out once, shot the nose bonk of me at World Trade Center he shot something with Kepper. I don't remember what else he shot, but yeah, he tagged along and shot a couple photos of us. And I got one that was published in Transworld. Um, so I was jazzed, jazzed on that. Uh, no, he just shot a New York City photo of me. And then that, that trip, I think he shot like Big Jim, if you know who Big Jim is, doing a slappy. My buddy huh. Wiley doing a slappy. He, there was a couple New York City photos. I think Aliasha got a checkout or something. There was a couple early spike new york city photos and that was from his one trip sh sh like meeting up with the shuck guy was that the first time that you had a photo in the mag i think it might have been it's hard to say because i we had all these zines and i was you know i had coverage in the zines and like i had a no comply photo on the cover of the um god nyc skates catalog which was like the ccs of new york city uh -huh. You know, so I, I had that, and our buddy had a zine that he made that got around pretty good. That may have been my first published photo. I, I'm not sure. Right. I should know that, but I don't. But yeah. I, then I, like, around that time, I moved out to California, and then I got a, a whole bunch of photos, just, like, checkouts and stuff like that, and occasionally little shots from contests. Okay. Yeah. Um, before you moved to California, um, you drove out with Mike V and met gone's right yeah or yeah and you know harking back 
I want to say that probably was my first published because it was full page. And then shortly after that, I had a venture ad doing a pivot to fake it, cheapskates. Right. And that was one of my first. That was, I think that might have been the first published photo, if not right behind that other nose bonk. And I was in Thrasher, so I was like super jazzed, you know, and um, brought it to school. And, like, hey. and everybody's like, oh, that's what the fuck you've been doing. Because people <laughs> didn't understand. We had like an, an alternate universe, dude. We would go home from school. I'd take a nap till my mom's car got, like, till my, my mom pulled up at five. I'd jump in the car, drive two and a half hours to Cheapskate. Get there at like 8, meet up with Barker and those guys, skate till 11 or 12, like however late the guy would leave the park open for us, and then drive an hour and a half back home. So I'd get home at like 1.30 in the morning, crash out, wake up at 6 for school, and everybody would be like, it was like fight, uh, what do you call it, fight club? Like you're all bruised up and burnt, and everybody's like, what's wrong with you? Like what, Are you, you know, it's like being Clark Kent. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. like you're like, yo, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I am going to an alternate universe. I might be a little banged up. Whatever. Yeah. Have fun with that homework. <laughs> well, could you talk a little bit about meeting Mark and drive? Like, did yeah. uh, one of my main questions was, did Mike V drive the entire yes. way? <laughs> yes, he did. He, he he was one of those people that like insisted on driving. Like from a, from it. A, from being young till now, he's always been the same way. Yeah. I don't know when I've ever seen Mike V in the backseat of a car, if I ever have. <laughs> okay. But yeah, he drove us out early. And um, recently someone posted a photo of Jason doing a backseat ollie at, I think the spot was called Lloyd's Banks. You know where there's the, the blender photo of the front rock and it's uh, the Suzuki building? On cover of Transworld. I should give oh, you yeah. more reference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, th there was a set of banks like that in Orange County called the Lloyd's Banks. And they were super fucking tight. And um, Jason, the night we got to town, uh, we were staying with Mark Gonzalez, which was such a trip, and Nottis. And I'm like, that had to be 86, I think, so I'm 14. And sleeping on Nottis's floor, you know, just like, oh, my God. <laughs> met that same morning, met, like, Julian Stranger, Eric Dressen, like, all of and, our heroes. And you were aware, you knew who they oh, were. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. I was awestruck. But what, tri what tripped me out was they all knew who bout shut, and they were super stoked on it. Like, Eric D. was had a shut sticker on his board. I want to say Julian or someone wore a shut shirt one day, and we were just like, whoa, my God, no way. These guys know who we are. Uh -huh. But it was more the vibe that they knew about, you know what I mean, like New York City. Right. And, yeah, so Mike hauled us out there. We stayed near Rocco for a while in the Redondo Beach area. Then we stayed with Nottis. And then I, I believe that same trip we went – it was either that trip or the following where we went up the coast and went to SF and crashed with uh, Tommy on his couch and Thebo on his floor. And I don't even know, like, I, I, I got to see if Jimmy even remembers it because we were, like, in and out. We skated with him one day, maybe two, and he was already married, you know, and him, him and Lynn were in the back room, and we were just these scrubs that, like, he let crash on the floor. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was crazy, man, skating Ju huh? with Julian. And that first session, that first night was real heavy. It was... Jason, Ed Templeton, Nottis, Mark Gonzalez, I think Neil Blender might have been there, um, and O was there shooting photos. Wow. Yeah. And then, like, another night later, we're bombing hills with Dressin and Nottis and Julian, and my, my mind's just completely blown. Did skating with them, did it encourage you? Like, Oh, yeah. It was motivating, because we had, like, the raw talent. We just didn't have the consistency in any way like even just how much people skated in california you know like 
a lot of my friends that skated in New Jersey had like full-time jobs or whatever, you know, could only go out for an hour or two and then their parents would make them come back in. There were no like professional skaters, you know what I mean? Okay. Or even super like, there were, I mean, you had Jeremy Henderson and a handful of guys, puppet head, but they were like old school and kind of like did other things for money, you know? But like, so coming out to California was like our first look at people who just skated like full time, you know, and uh -huh. what that could mean, like how good you could be. You know, right. so I think it really, it didn't bum us out. It was just like, wow, that's what you could do if we fucking skate every fucking day, you know? So I think every trip out there was super, super motivating. Sick. Because when I, when I first met um, East Coast dudes, one of the things I remember most is that we were kind of looked at as pussies. <laughs> like the East Coast had the rough terrain and, and the West Coast had it too easy. Yeah. All your spots are perfect. And... Like Dan Pencil, good friend of mine, he still to this day will probably say the same shit. He'd be like, <laughs> Dude, it's so it's a skate park out here. You guys yeah. got to come back east where it's so gnarly, you know? Yeah, like, but that's because you guys were on like the same level. You know what I mean? Like you guys were, you, you know, you both can skate well, and we were just full fans when we were like fourteen, fifteen, and got to sure. meet those guys. But yeah, I don't think we were thinking we were better than anybody at all. <laughs> But, but I mean, we did we did like deal with weather better and stuff like that. What was like some of the favorite memories of the world days? Gosh, um, the world days. Gosh, it, it, I guess like traveling with Mike V was pretty special. And yeah. um, Mike kind of organized his own tours. So we had one tour that was me called the Hobo Tour. And it was me, Ed Templeton, Felix and Mike and Ann, his wife. And uh, we did like 31 demos in 30 days or something like that. It was crazy. But it was cool because it kind of like, it, it groomed me for hitting the road with Rodney Mullen and all those guys later, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, the biggest shock for me was just even, I didn't know if I was even officially on the team. We were sort of like Mike's guys, like me, Felix, and Billy, until we showed uh -huh. up in Rubber Sheep. And I was like, oh, I guess we're on the team. And then yeah. um, shortly after that, Rocco called me up and asked, said like, me and Randy were turning pro. Uh, when he first said it, I like I thought he was almost kidding because I was going planning on going back east and going to college. I was either going to go to Rutgers or Carnegie Mellon, <laughs> and Rutgers I was going to be able to live with my mom. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So I don't have to work at McDonald's or something crazy. Um, uh -huh. And it was like mid July, early August or something. Rocco calls. I got I get somehow get the message to call Rocco. So I call him on a payphone, and he's like, hey, um, we're turning you and Randy Colvin pro. And this is like my first summer by myself in California. And I'm like, next year? He's like, no, in a week. We're already starting on the graphics. So I, I get off the phone. I'm like, I guess I'm not going to college. I don't know. And <laughs> just drove my uh, Honda Spree that went 30 miles an hour from Venice to Torrance that next day. I was like, I'm going to be pro? <laughs> and they'd wow. already like started drawing graphics and stuff. So that was, yeah, it was, I got jumped in. I just, boom, there we go. And it, it was almost a little like, honestly, it was, I was a little before I was even ready for it, I think. Like, I was just getting the comfortable being sponsored, and the next thing I knew, I was pro. You know, and I was kind of like, whoa, now I have a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, it wasn't well documented, but I had my own way of skating back then. Like, I nollied everything. Like, I would do nolly 50-50s on benches, nolly nose grinds. Like, I switch ollied everything. I did, it wasn't really documented much because... Even like Rodney Mullen was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But he was trying to teach everybody like double flips and 
through 60 flips. He's like, yeah, Dune does these like weird nolly, fakey ollie tricks. They're all right, you know? And it wasn't, I kind of like put them away until like stereo came back. Then I was like, oh, people like the nolly. Huh? I've been doing yeah. that since 90. I got that. I can nolly a can. I always wondered in that, what was the video? Is it like... Uh, oh, yeah. Best me- World Memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two World Industries, man. That was... That one. That was, Did people think that was a real... You had a wig on and... Yeah, it was... Well, we had a week to make it. Like, seriously. Uh, like, that was part of Rocco's, like, no, you guys are pro. And now you got to film. And every day, Spike was calling us. And I was, like, feeling all this fucking pressure and, like, kind of freaking out. And so uh, my way of making it light and making it fun was wearing... Was showing up. Spike came and picked me up, and I just came out wearing a blonde wig. And he cracked the fuck up, and we got our tricks that day. Because I was trying to loosen the, the vibe. You know what I mean? Like, add some lightness to it. Like, who gives a sure. fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't... Who, we don't know who's going to see this. Let's just have some fun. Yeah. Is, is it, are, are 200 people going to watch this and throw it out? It was a promo video. There was right. no such thing. It, was, it had to be one of the first promo videos, you know? No art to it whatsoever. We I, they, we drew the the names in crayon, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, like the title cards, and we literally that was like four days of skating or something, and done in a week. So. And that's where you uh, unleashed your tap dancing skills. <laughs> but I was, I, I, when I started to, by then I had started to come into my own a bit more. I was a little shell shocked by turning pro so soon. Hey, yeah, Bob, what you got to say? You want to join the interview? Got to stay away from the mic, or I'm going to get you on this thing. He, he just want, he's dying to come on here to talk about Nintendo Switch, right? Ooh. <laughs> Dooney, what's the first cartridge you're going to buy with Nintendo Switch? Mario Odyssey. Mario Odyssey. There you have it, folks. All right. That's an exclusive. <laughs> Dude, speaking of history stuff, we're, we're jumping all over the place, but my buddy brought this over yesterday. It's like Todd Francis made this Whoa. weird, like... It's like a um, a mag that went in the Series 2000, the Raygun decks for stereo in 95. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's like just this weird little Todd Francis comic, totally his sense of humor. So yeah. rad. Know your stereo Series 2000 skateboard operator's manual. I just got a pair of those vans that he did for uh, uh, Grosso. Did you have an idea that Spike was going to do what he's doing now? Like, did you have that feeling? Um, I mean... Spike was like, all I can really say about him is he was like the hardest working dude I'd ever met. And, um, which is weird. Cause like there was a rumor that like his family owned some magazine, like uh, Spiegel, right? Yeah. And the Spiegel catalog and whatever, uh-huh. and, you know? So it was like, be like, Spike's loaded, man. His family's rich. <laughs> um, but he, dude, he would like sleep on our floors and be like ready to go. And with Gons, he was the only one that could handle Gons's like skate habits. Cause Mark would want to skate like, two three in the morning like most wow. of that blind footage in the night it's 2 a.m i'm wow. there for about half the clips because i drag my like tired ass out of bed the other half i just be like mark it's three o'clock in the morning dude have fun man i'll see you when you get when you get home because yeah. i was living with him at that time you know so um so yeah no it's it's funny man we spike would like his dedication i think i didn't think i wouldn't have said oh the guy's gonna make movies necessarily but, like, you knew he was going to succeed. Like, Transworld loved him. World loved him. Everybody loved him because he would, like, do anything. Like, oh, he needs to shoot a photo of Jeremy Klein in San Diego. He's on Swift's couch for three days. They get the best photo ever. You know what I mean? He was just that dude. And I think, like, a lot of photographers in that genre, and it's funny because Spike was mainly a BMX dude. He skated right. for fun, but he really was got in through BMX, and um, Andy Jenkins and those guys were all big BMX dudes. And... um 
but Spike's timing of shots, that's what made his shots so special. Like, you know, a front board of Ed or like whatever, like a no- nose bonks and nose grinds and like, you know, kick flips. Like he knew exactly when to capture the photos because ha- like three quarters of photographers couldn't capture the proper moment for street skating. But Spike was one of the first dudes that could go, nope, I know exactly when to shoot a backside tail slide. I don't know how he knew, you know what I mean? And then you'd see another z- magazine and you'd see like some dude not even on his tail yet and it'd be like, backside blur you know what i mean or whatever or coming off the trick and you're like oh or flipping up you know and like just their foot dangling off and you're like that wasn't right yeah you didn't shouldn't have done carol like that you know what i mean like (laughs) so um but spike got it dude he got it from the you know what i mean like every time you shot with spike tobin and yellen too you know they both like had like a street sense about their photography and they knew the timing of the move um which is funny because tobin was over here yesterday and I was just skating my quarter pipe in the parking block. And I never even looked through his lens because I'm always like, oh, Tobin's got it. Like, I, But I did check out a couple. But he's one of those guys you don't even bother. Like, let me see how that – because you're uh-huh. like, oh, I can't wait to see what Tobin comes up with. This is going to look yeah. dope. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I was stoked to get him to sh- sh- uh, shoot a skate photo. It wasn't anything too exciting, but he was shooting skating. Oh, cool. Tobin actually – one of his first photos was uh... – he would come down to San Mateo and skate with us and kind of like fuck around and shoot my friend Mike Alcantar, who uh-huh. later had like a venture ad going over the uh, couch where Mickey Rays was sitting on. It was like, oh, yeah. don't be a couch potato. <laughs> yeah. And that was the same day that Julian front boarded the handrail out in front on nice. Church Street. Yeah, oh, so. yeah that was a good era because like multiple photos would happen in one day. Yeah, like you'd like you don't get that much anymore. That's the back of the school. This is the front of school. Same day, you're like, damn, totally. Real quick, then it it was kind of a test run for stereo with blue. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, We kind of had the idea, and Jason and I were into like retro stuff. Like we were all into watching James Dean movies and dreaming we'd have motorcycles and triumphs and all this stuff and. Jason went way further with it than I did, like the look and all that, like the 50s. Mm-hmm. But I kind of got into the art side of it, like art deco stuff and um, and jazz stuff started influencing me again because my dad was a jazz musician. I'd kind of liked, I, I, I don't know, it's like when your parents are super into something, like when you're growing up, if your parents loved Metallica when you were 12, you're probably like, Metallica's weak. You know, you know what I mean? You're like, you're like, oh man, my hip hop and like yeah. my speed metal is so much better or whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. it's kind of one of those things where I was, it was around so much that I was like, no jazz, no jazz, you know, for like a year or two after I left my parents' house, I was like, just doing my own thing, hip hop, punk rock, alternative music. But then like the jazz music started creeping its way back in my life, partially through Gons cause he'd have jazz albums and, um, and then just starting to grow appreciation for all this stuff. And I'd been hearing it since I was like three years old. So I knew who Miles Davis was, who John Coltrane was, Mingus. I knew stories about them, but I didn't even know how. It's just because I grew up around them. They were like yep. my dad's gones, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so by the time we hit stereo, I, w- I got it. Like There was a couple times we, we went away from the direction of blue and it looked really corny. And like by stereo, I was like, no, no, I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to like falter like it's all going to be jazz influenced and um i'd watched a bunch of jazz documentaries where they use still photography black and white photography and super 8 and 16 
There's like a Monk mm. documentary, I think. There's like a Mingus one. Some early jazz documentary. There's a Chet Baker one. And just the way they spliced in the photography, I was like, whoa. That my, eye, my world was open. My eyes were open. And I started mm. thinking of like, honestly, like I, it was when I first lived down here, I would just smoke weed and go to the record store. And then like I was looking at all these records for inspiration. And finally, like one day I was like, why not just stereo? Because I would like pull, pull a, a header for like a blue logo and go down to, you know, Irvine and be like, hey, can you make this say blue? You know, but then by the time we'd started stereo and we're talking to Thebo and um, Jeff Clint and Tommy, I was like, what if we just called it fucking stereo? Like, what if we just hit it on the head? And I almost was kind of like not, I drew a bunch of stuff on napkins and paper and brought up some albums and photocopies and I almost was going to think, I wasn't sure if they were going to be like, dude, that's out there, you know, or be like, dude, that's genius. We love it. And it was the second they were like, that's fucking genius. You know, Tommy loving music and even Fosto loved it. Rest his soul. You know, like they gave us the backing to think it was cool, you know, because with Blue, we pitched it to the Vision guys and they were like, I don't know. I don't know about this whole Blue thing, you know, but then by the time we brought Stereo and the Vibe to Thrasher and Deluxe, those dudes were like, oh, we fully get this. This is, like, sophisticated. We're back in this, you know? So yeah. they gave us the platform to, like, flourish, you know? Like, all of those okay. dudes, Swenson, Fosto, Jeff, uh, rest in peace to all of them. Thankfully, you know, like, Tommy and Jim still there carrying the torch, but those dudes, it was as much like, it's like when you hear somebody say they made a great record. They're going to tell you, oh, it was this producer. It was the guy, sound engineer. It was the record label getting behind me saying, make whatever the fuck you want. It's all those things. You know what I mean? Sure. No one just yep. creates the fucking Beatles White Album, you know, like you have, or, or like, you know, Sgt. Pepper's. Like, you, no one person made Sgt. Pepper's, you know? Right. Um, so it was, and it was like, I call it, it's sort of weird to explain, but I, I say stereo was in the air. It was like in the ether. Like, because skating had gotten so tech and it went so down the cartoon route with Rabbit Hole with World that there had to be some kind of uh, alter ego or antithesis, you know? And, like, by the time we'd figured out stereo, we were like, none of that back foot flip shit, no cartoon graphics, no fucking baggy ass pants down your ankles. Like, we've got a very refined vibe and this is it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Then Ethan fell on our lap and it was like, oh. See, here's our golden boy. This is the vibe. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> There's our singer. And, There's our singer. And you met Jason through uh, Mark, or how yeah, did you meet through Jason? Mark. Yeah, I mean, he was there from the very first moments of meeting Mark, and he had just moved out of Mark's place, and I moved into Jason's old room, and Jason oh. was staying with his family in, in Huntington, his mom in Huntington, like a mile away. So we okay. all just gravitated towards each other and skated. And Mark had a room for rent, thankfully, and yeah, that was like life changing. It's like 400 bucks a month or something. So did Jason leave blind for... Yeah, um, right? it was, we went to Blue first. Okay. Um, and it was like, we knew we had these ideas. Like me and him would sit in the back of the van and listen to like Bob Dylan and, and like old jazz cassettes and go to thrift stores. Like everybody else, you'd get to a town, half the dudes would go to the mall to find like bling. Me and uh, Jason would go, where's the thrift stores? Just to find like some fucking like hokey button up and like a funny Budweiser sign, you know? Yeah. So, and we literally, we'd be like, yeah, uh, 
just pick us up at the Best Buy. We're going to go to the thrift store. And Rodney would just, two separate crews. The other dudes would go buy video games and hip-hop records. And we were like thrift store kids, you know? So we instantly kind of connected. And then once that, once we realized like that kind of stuff could be on skateboards, that was it. <laughs> mm. The retro vibe was launched, you know, and put on our boards. Because I was like, why, why do our boards have to be like 3D cartoons? Like, let's just go our own way with that. You know, and right. um, there was a big debate about if it was too sophisticated or not, you know, and obviously for some it was, you know, but a lot of people got the connection between jazz and skateboarding. And I think it's like there's so much connect. Jazz and skateboarding are both at the root improvisational. You know, you can't be improvisational if you can't do tricks. You know what I mean? Right. Like you have to do frontside board yep. slides, 180 ollies, kickflips, heel flips. Uh, you know, board slides, whatever, like feeble grinds, you can't just be improv. You have to have like the basic style, you know, and it's the same with jazz musicians. Like they, those dudes were all classically trained and people don't know that they could play Bach or whatever, Beethoven, you know, like Monk and them sure. were classically trained, but then they departed and went their own way. I see so many parallels with jazz and skateboarding. Always have. Hence stereo. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty groundbreaking when Mark had the jazz uh, the blind video probably one of the first Definitely. times it was put in there yeah 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 i think it was coltrane and uh yeah yeah mark is always like a step ahead of us you know and he was playing jazz that was one of the things that brought me back to jazz was mark playing a bunch of it at the house oh man okay that brings us to my favorite city San Francisco, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, did stereo kind of bring you to San Francisco? Or? Um, yes, very much so. Because I, I remember the LA earthquake hit, and my building got condemned. And I was like, I wanted to move up to SF, but I w wasn't quite committing because I had a cheap studio apartment across the street from Las Vegas School. And ah. Everything went down at Las Vegas School. It was like the best, you know, bank school in in like North Central LA. So everybody was like coming to me for skating, you know, like Ortiz or whoever. I'd go over the hop fence and there's like Billy Valdez and Paulo and Ortiz oh, and man. whoever. Ethan was there one day. But then uh, the LA earthquake hit in 93. We, we had halfway, I think the video was like halfway done or something or a quarter of the way done. And I got this notion, shit, my, my apartment's condemned. They're going to give you money to move somewhere else, but it's going to be a while. I'm like, fuck this. Jeff Clint, what's up? Can I stay on your couch? Yeah. All right. I'll be there tomorrow. Packed my shit and went to SF. And wow. um, yeah, and that was it. I mean, I loved SF. And honestly, it fit where we were coming from with New York City a lot more than LA. You know, LA is a lot more sleepier and quiet and schoolyards. And New Jersey, New York's more like pushing from spot to spot, you know, a little uh -huh. bit more spont spontaneity, a little bit more like basic tricks going on because you're getting from one spot to the next you know what i mean so yeah i fell in love with sf man um always did and have I'm, i i think about it these days and i'm like why am i not there even my whole family like i wish but it's different everybody's like yeah. dude it's so different than what you remember <laughs> yeah but what i say to those people is everywhere is like yeah. you go to portland and the fucking east side of burnside looks like the west side like yeah. 10 years ago you know like totally. everywhere's everywhere's changing not what you remember it as yeah and i mean i think uh, a big a big influence there was was tommy and julian like just 100%. skating you know like even the early videos of tommy bombing i told him just when we did the bs with tg i was like dude you were the king man we were like that's all we wanted to do 
bomb Absolutely. through the, the you know the mission and like bomb through the avenues and do little frontside airs you know and the after getting to know tommy you know through all the years it's just amazing. Like the dude is the most humble guy. He's so it's unassuming. Like, yeah. You're you're like the reason, dude. You are <laughs> Tommy fucking Guerrero. Yeah. The gear, the shoes. Oh uh, yeah. The forties, all that stuff was so knee, like everything. Oh man. Could you say a little something about um Clint? Like for people that don't know, he was such a rad dude and yeah. into so like he was in a band. He, yeah. Like, yeah, he no, was he very was like, talented. He was sort of like our George Martin, like, you know, to the Beatles, like our producer dude. Like he was the dude that was like the Rick Rubin. You know what I mean? Like he he's the gel that put us all together and was like, oh, yeah, you know, like and he got it. And he was in a he was a musician. So he really loved mm-hmm. the stereo connection, you know, and he grew up near like Modesto, Fresno area. Right. So he had a yeah. lot of musician friends, came from totally left of center and uh, just really supported any of our ideas like jeff i don't think i ever heard him say no once to any of our ideas um Rad. so yeah god and rest what was his, soul. his role there was he like general manager i want to say he was like president or something you know jeff sort of oh. just bounced around from the art room to the sales room sales room to shipping to back to the art room to the sales room to shipping huh. to some meeting with swenson to get yelled at to back to the sales room to back to the art room <laughs> Um, so, so he was yeah. kind of Jim before Jim. Yeah. Yeah. It was him oh. and Jim, man. They were the, they were the, the 6am crew, you know, right. They were there before anybody. Um, he had some of the songs on the eighth street video, right? Yeah. Clint? Yeah. Yeah. And a yeah. sick artist. He drew Ron Allen's, uh, graphic, the parking block graphic as well. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I met Jeff when they were over at Ermaco and it was just like Spitfire and Thunder, I want to say. And he was there that early. And like oh. print print time was right there next door. So yeah. So then by the time like stereo came up, they re- relocated to Egbert and there was like art room and, you know, guys like Todd Francis and um yeah, it was just heaven, dude. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Yeah. And then true or false, you ended up living with Nancy Pelosi's daughter. True. She uh this was in Venice though, down south. Oh. But yeah, I not I was looking for somewhere to live after leaving Mark's and I wanted to go towards LA and I, I was asking Nadis if he knew of anybody that needed a roommate and he's like oh yeah this girl that goes to Loyola Marymount um uh Alexandra has a room for rent so I went and went I met her but I had no idea who Nancy Pelosi was and she wasn't nearly as famous as she is now you know but yeah, um, yeah she was a well-to-do politician nonetheless and um yeah she was my roommate and she actually connected me on a call with Thebo me and Jason were like belly aching about blue, like, ah, what are we going to do? We're, this isn't really working out. Because we'd bring down the ideas, but they weren't really like, we'd come back a month later and, and nothing would be different, you know? And we were like, yeah. we'd bring an idea to Deluxe, you come back a week later, there'd be like four board graphics hanging on the wall that were like beautiful, you know? And uh, we were sort of like fighting an uphill battle with the creativity, like, we want the videos to be special and we want it to be like this. And um, it was, felt like it was falling on deaf ears. And then uh, Alexandra knew we were bummed, so she put me on the phone with Debo. And I'd met Jim once or twice. It's like, hey, hey, Jim, it's Dune. It's like, hey, man. So uh, I hear you and Jason are working on some ideas. Um, dude, we'd love to hear them. And I'm just like, shh. <laughs> you know, like, I get off the phone. I'm like, dude, high five and Alexandra. Like, thank you so much. Um, wow. And then we drove up and met. I, I, I want to say we went to like 
like um, somewhere near like little little Italy or whatever, and had pizza and brought a bunch of like napkins, xeroxes, album covers. Like, here's the vibe, and um, no those dudes loved it. So there Damn. we have it. 1993, we're off That's to the races. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area, so like as a kid, seeing Jason, uh, he had I think a frontside ollie, I believe at the uh banks up by westboro where the the it's a uh, south city it's it's like a playground oh yeah yeah like, yeah he's got the jacket it, yep the zipped up he, jacket like shit like that was like our connection to like these rad dudes are skating our shit like <laughs> it was so you know tommy coming to san mateo and skating the ditch in our town like yeah that kind of stuff was just like i mean we we're very lucky to be born and raised in a in the outskirts of San Francisco yeah. where the industry was like really in fuego back then. Yep. So it was I mean I remember the stereo years and like slap kind of Oh yeah. You and slap were kind of like together like almost yeah. in unity coming out like you you were a big part. You had the portrait cover yeah. and the and the downhill uh hill bomb, photo yeah, from behind was that Gaberman board. or or Lance or what was that or Morford uh Morford yeah Morford, Morford. It, yeah right yeah we yeah. had we were trying to shoot photos I think it was the same day we were going to go shoot the um the dude Neville Sanzibar in the second stereo video the dude with the wig bombing the hills um I think we were going to go shoot that at Miley and um I had this board that I'd brought at a thrift store and I put some like little spitfires on it and I can't remember who it was but someone was like dude imagine bombing the hill on that and it just became like a joke, and I just started trying to bomb, you know, and started getting higher and higher and higher, and pretty soon I'm bombing the hill on that, th on that thing. And Morford, of course, with the Morford eye, like, when Morph got excited about something, I knew it was golden. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and he was like, oh, I could see it in his face. It was going to be a cool shot. So I'm like, I'm willing to tempt death right now and fucking <laughs> stay on this thing without a power slide because I know... Gabe, we, and it was funny, like, I didn't realize it till recently, but I had stereo button-up, stereo khakis. So I was, like, selling the whole kit, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and Morph was like, it's got everything, it's got the orange, just no, just keep going. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, all right, all right, Gabe. He's got that. Yeah, I remember, like, coming back down to shoot with him, and I'd have either a white or a blue shirt, and he'd, like, point, he'd send me up, he'd be like, I'd be like, all right, I'll get yellow, Okay. I'd put on like a yellow or an orange shirt because he always oh. wanted it to, to like pop, especially if it was a night photo, yeah, or a dusk photo, you know. So when and I was I wearing to... I was wearing colorful button ups, so it kind of worked because I wasn't wearing t shirts half the time anyway. But right, yeah, he if you if you came out to shoot with Morph with a white white shirt, he'd give you that look like, no, nah, no white shirts, man. Uh, when I would go out with Luke, Luke would uh, bring Thrasher shirts in his car the color he wanted. He had like <laughs> four different, like he had the red, the yellow, whatever ones he wanted. Yeah. He'd be like, hey, put this on. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Luke was another ruler, man. Dude, it's one of the best. Luke's yeah, we so had it lucky, sick. man. You know, we all still do. It's yeah. amazing we're all still doing this thing somehow. <laughs> 100%. 30, 40 years later, you know. No doubt. We must love uh, it. Could we go through some SF uh, spots, like yeah, some of your favorite sure. shit? Like, where, where do you remember breakfast or coffee spot that was um, dear to I you? I mean, Eddie's obviously, like yeah. Eddie's Cafe. That was always my breakfast spot, and I mean, Tommy and Jim hipped us to it and had the ad there. But you know, we 
we went there so often. Like that was our wake up spot. And then mm-hmm. Wallenberg was our go to, you know, because we'd skate the top or the bottom, mostly the yeah. top. Um, you know, bombing through the mission and like finding stuff that was always fun. Um, especially like the deeper mission, like Harrison bumps and stuff like that. And then yeah. there's a bunch of stuff down there that no one touched that me and Ethan really dug. Um, and then the avenues, that was always fun because you'd find sure. a new colorful bump with a door that, you know, you'd be like, oh my God, I've never seen that bump to rail. How have we never seen this? Um, Fort Miley, always, that was like my go-to if I was at a loss for tricks, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but the city itself too, like the backdrop, I mean, I, that's when I was becoming aware of like where I was shooting, you know? And by the time we did stereo, you know, someone might want to do like, Maybe Ethan wants to shoot something, and I'm like, oh, don't even bother at that spot. Like, you know, and I talked to Gabe and be like, let's find the right spot, you know, because I think we were early on a little bit and figuring out like the background was half the photo, you know, and that was sure. I, I credit more for that, you know, and some of the early video dudes like Mesa and stuff, but they all knew like Tobin as well, you know, like it's got to look right, right, you know what I mean? And there was so many visual, visually pleasing spots in SF. It was just like magic, you know. Um, LA is a little tougher. You got to fight a little harder for uh, a photogenic spot. Sure. Yeah. What uh, What was your bar of choice like for, <laughs> for drinking? Five Hundred Club was my spot for the jukebox and the pool in the back. And then Sean Young, you would meet me over there, and I'd yeah. see people like you there. Uh, yeah, kilowatt was the... yeah. The kilowatt was cool because hearing the music at sometimes. There was Cap Street. That was a gnarly one. Yeah, that yeah. I would see you there sometimes. Yeah, um, and, and I love the paint. I love like that whole little Golden Gate area, Western oh, Edition. That was my zone. It's great. Yeah, now they got a little skate spot up there on Waller. Um, I mean, they've had it for a while, but I don't think it was there when you were there. And were you up here still when Jim's Ramp Jam happened? Oh yeah, I lived at Jim's Ramp like the last incarnation. I just leave Deluxe being like, what time? Two, three? Okay, I'll see you there. <laughs> How sick was that event, though? Like, yeah. holy shit, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and dude, talk about influences, man. Phil Shaw, your boy. Uh, Another one. Rest in peace, man. He blew my mind. Just the way he could link street and transition together. Totally. Like no one else, you know? Maybe like Wade. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, man, that dude was on fire. He was like... Uh, a San Francisco Gons. Yeah. I mean, I've said it a million times, but when Jake Phelps has nothing but positive things to say about you, yeah. you're a pretty special <laughs> guy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you dude. Know? Yeah. And no. dude, I'm I'm still bummed that like I I still would have I wanna see um Wade skate still. I'm bummed that like Wade kind of disappeared, you know. He was one of my favorites, dude. Uh, when I first moved up there was, and ran, there was that park out in like Antioch or something, and yep. um, and he would just control that spine ramp, you know. Oh, and, like and all of a sudden no he disappeared, other. and I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Him and Phil killed it. My favorites on transition. Wade was the best at what he did. Yeah, yeah. Like it was insane. I what we went to Sacramento had an indoor park, and I remember uh, that. I was did the filming for th- pivot on the wall, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I Can't was forget Cardiel. Th- well, yeah, Card- <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> goes without but, saying. 
but Wade taught Phil. I was we were driving up there, and Phil was like, "How do you grind through multiple corners?" Huh. And Wade and Wade's like, "I'm going to show you today." And I was there watching Wade <laughs> show him how to pump through a corner and hit the. And like I'm like these. This is insane. This these is are the best. Yeah, it was like fuck Wade forever. Yeah, so, dude. I talked to Matt Pales. I told him that you were going to come on the show, and he said, I have to ask you to give a crazy dare story. (laughs) Oh, man. Man. He also wanted to know if you were in the van when it crashed with Mandoli driving. No. No, I was not. Thank thank goodness. And thank goodness those guys were all okay. Yeah, yeah, Dare was, man, he's his own human. You know, I knew him from, he was sponsored by Powell. So I'd known as like a flow am kid. Um, and him and his brother, George had moved up to New Jersey from Florida and then went back down to Florida, but they'd made an impact on us early. Like I met Mike when I was like 14. Um, so yeah, Mike was just, I don't know. He had a knack, him and his brother, George had a knack for ollieing huge. Like you'd never seen before, like, like a chair, you know, the chair that's behind me that I'm like, just like a waist high, something waist high. And that was into like, the, I want to say like the late eighties, they could do that shit, you know? And, um, so it all, all forces kind of just came together by the time he was riding for stereo. Cause I knew how good he was. I knew he was going to like shock the world, so to speak. Um, you know, and he would just like smoke a little herb or drop a hit and just like go, whoo, total psychedelic skate trip that just blew your mind. You'd be like, what is that even possible? Yeah. Um, yeah, and he was just in it, man. He was locked in throughout the whole stereo thing. Um, yeah, was and he a handful on the road? Was it hard uh, to travel? Not with? really. Nah, Mike no. was chill. Um, I mean, those guys like it was cool because they inherently got stereo, and there wasn't. I remember we didn't have to have that many conversations about the vibe or anything, you know. Like, and we basically came to this conclusion: like, okay, we're not going to chase the Plan B video. We're going to like. Every trick that you do, if you're going to do a nose slide, I want it to be the furthest, best-looking nose slide ever done. If you do a backside ollie, I want it to be the highest backside ollie you've ever done. If you do a nollie nose grind, it's going to be the cleanest nollie nose grind you've ever seen. Like, if you do a switch ollie, it better be waist high. You know, like, we wanted, like, a level of, I don't know, clean perfection, sort of, in our video and with a visual sound and... Um, we didn't want like the board hitting the ground before your feet did type of thing. You know what I mean? And we all kind of like had that understanding. So we were all trying to pop, you know, everything and like make shit look clean. And, um, and I think dare Fowler all really got it. Rodriguez as well, you know, in his own way. I mean, it's just um, style style. Yeah. Right? Like the they, whole thing was like thing an unsaid thing. You know what I mean? It's like, fucking being a member of the chicago bulls like you don't have to have a lot of conversations about being the chicago bulls you know just like yeah especially with ethan and and i dude i can't even put myself on on ethan and dare's level skating wise i was the idea guy Um, but those dudes were definitely the muses jason too man i i used to say there's no such thing as a bad jason lee graphic like i could just i could make jason graphics in my sleep because he just had so much personality Sure. And there was so much about him, and he was such a like classic dude that, you know, you could sit there and brainstorm Jason Lee ideas for twenty hours straight, you know, and they'd all look good because <laughs> so he bad. was the epitome and is the epitome of stereo. Rodriguez too, all of them. Yeah, Rodriguez. 
Yeah, still, and we they... still give them boards, and it's like, oh, look at that. It makes total sense. <laughs> really? Yeah. How cool. When was the last time you talked to Ethan? Do you stay in contact with him? Man, I tried. Um, when I was when I got back over to Prime, I got his number and called him a handful of times just to catch up um, and sent him a package, tried to get him to skate. I think he skated his local like bowl once or twice, but um, he's he... fully immersed. He's got like a playing music girlfriend or wife and he's he's actually doing like contractor work but he's like the guy's right hand man i guess so he's like making really good money okay um, and yeah he's just doing building houses being ethan <laughs> they're not <laughs> playing music not the, he is still playing I, I believe so but i don't think he's in that band anymore um okay. i don't know i should call him just this is reminding me i should call ethan fowler and yeah try to get him on a skateboard again i wanted to touch on uh mike frazier yeah one of the raddest vert skaters of all time, but kind of like interesting that he was, was he the token vert skater? How did, why was he on stereo? He had a connection through the Dare brothers because um, they were uh, Florida dudes. And, okay. <clears throat> and, and he was really close to Max Schaff, right? So him and Max were like always skating together and Mike would always come out to stay with Max and all these photos would come through Deluxe of Frazier. And I'm not sure who brought up the idea, but when it got brought up, all it took was us watching him skate like once or twice and being like, oh, you are, he, he was basically like Ethan Fowler on vert. You know what I mean? Like his power, his consistency, so, yeah. his style. We were like, that's the dude. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. He's, I mean, his clips come up on Instagram randomly now and then. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that is still insane today. Yeah. Like, and he still shreds, he dude. He, right. He skates some bowl he calls like the humbler or the punisher or something. I, but he rips like the full on five out of fakies and like a 12 foot cement bowl into like yeah. a catalarial and you know, whatever, you know, he just rips like his disaster is still real fast and he's crazy. He's a nut. People don't, people don't really know that Mike Vallely and Jason Lee both skate vert pretty. F oh yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Like Mike V has that one part. Uh, yeah. Rubbish heap. Rubbish Heap is yeah. like, it's Alyssa's favorite vert park. Yeah, She's always no. like, dude, Mike Vallely's vert park. And then Jay Lee's, you know, uh, part from Blind Video. Like, that's still, to this day, some people's favorite vert part. Yeah. What Have you ever seen him do something like that you couldn't believe on vert? I mean, I was there that day. Most of that stuff was filmed. And I, my mind was blown then. Um, uh. But... I, I came and stayed with Jason. He was living in downtown LA in like a loft. And this was before lofts were cool. You know, it was fucking yeah. gnarly as fuck. <laughs> but he had a huge loft all styled out. And um, Giovanni Ribisi lived in the same building. And you had to like drive into like, like uh, it was like gated parking garage because it was so gnarly in downtown back then. And, and Christian's was just a hop, skip and a jump. So we go to Christian's and Jason would just blow my mind. Um, Jordan Richter was around for some of that stuff. Oh, he's so, awesome. Yeah. They, Jason very style. unique. Yeah. So sick. I love watching like Jason and Mark skating that ramp and like <laughs> just the indie air and Mark's inverts, obviously. Yeah. It's just like, wow. Dude, uh, yeah. That, all that stuff is like one session too. That's how those guys were. Right. Mark used to come out to cheapskates and blow everyone's mind because everyone knew the gons, the street gons, but no one knew like the stalled frontside air tweaked stalefish gons. You know, yeah. and he had he had like all the basics really dialed, like 
fronted all these rock and rolls. Like he could skate like a, you know, like in the air foot plant. You're like, what the fuck? Madonna's. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that photo Gabe had of him doing like a, a, a boneless booster at Rippin over the channel? Yeah. It's so sick. It's kind yeah. of blurred and he's one. just yeah, yeah. like fully in the... Oh, so sick. Yeah. Uh, Rupert Safkin. <laughs> oh, man. Rupert. Yeah. I don't even know where he came from. I, I think it was like there was a kid in my high school with the last name Safkin. So that's where I got that. But he was just this alter ego that did interviews and stuff. I think because I was like, if I was ever going to have to talk into the camera, I always wanted to do it jokingly. Sure. Like back in the deluxe, like Tommy would stick the camera in my face and just be like, ah, Rupert Safkin here reporting. Uh, the, the waves are high and the stoke is, is great. You know, like what I just become somebody else because I didn't want to like say anything real into the camera. And, yeah. uh, and Rupert just developed from Bryce wanting to do something with me and me being like, let me go. Let me go to the thrift store shopping real quick, <laughs> and just coming back with the gear, and then we just kind of brainstormed on like the the obnoxious reporter, you know. <laughs> um, and there were plenty of them back in the day. They'd be like, "Skateboarding, is it a fad? Yeah. We shall see. We're going to take you down to the Embarcadero to find out that very thing." Tom Donaldson, I love, I love coming that. to you live, hitting the streets. There were no what? like. There was no like cool announcing or like. No. Everybody was a everybody who tried to document skateboarding failed that talked into a camera. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's insane. Do you think, like looking back at that era, it was pretty important to have skits in videos for some reason? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think? I think it's just skater humor and like skaters get self conscious. They used to if you had to be too serious on camera too much. So we'd all just try to just loosen the air and make each other laugh wearing a goofy hat or putting on clothes or whatever. Um, you know, no one wanted to be like, yeah, I'll, I'm going I'm going to shoot some killer portraits today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so I'd like half the time I'd grab a wig or a plastic board or some something goofy just to be like, I don't really want to shoot portraits. So I'm just going to yeah. try to make it fun, you know. To make light of it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I remember because when I first started working at Thrasher, it was like, we need a skit. And I was like, <laughs> we need a skit? It's like, what? It's like yeah. part of the video. It's like, okay. Donut fuck. duty. <laughs> I, I was in a Hillbilly Roadkill, which we conceptualized, filmed, and edited in two days. Nice. Because we were on deadline and they said, we that, need a skit. That's and how those like, boys were. They were like, tomorrow. <laughs> we need yeah, it tomorrow. It so crazy. Yeah. Tin Can Folklore was kind of like that. Like oh, Swenson right. wants the video in two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck. All right, let's go. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're coming up on 30 years of stereo. Yeah, yeah, crazy. How yeah. sick. Yeah. No, you guys so. got any plans? Are we doing a 30-year ce celebration? <sighs> let's do something, man. I, we would love to. Yeah, and it needs to happen I guess in San it depends Francisco. on this COVID. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully but two years from now we'll have this all sorted and we can do a a big party in SF. That would be killer. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, yeah, we're trying to plan some stuff, collaborations and, you know, revisiting the videos and stuff like that. Um, it's just now happening. So, but, um, yeah. yeah, I think everyone got a little sidetracked with this COVID nonsense, especially us parents. But, yeah, no, we're going to we're gonna plan some special shit. I'd love you to be a part of it too, man. 
Oh, I'm down. Let's uh, let's book the Fillmore and really do it. Yes, we'll get uh, we'll get some epic jazz band. Yes. We'll fucking have an Tommy art show. Tommy will have to perform. Rodriguez oh, yeah. will have to perform. We'll get Chuck Trees out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So, I thought Tommy um, was like dabbling with bringing 40s back. I was like, do it. Yes. Yeah, I think <laughs> he gets hit up about that all the time, and I, I think Tommy's just. He's chilling. chilling. Like, yeah. yeah, he's like, ah, that seems like a lot of extra a lot of work. on my plate. Yeah, <laughs> totally. He's a realist. Um, what's been going on with these limited drops you're doing? Um, yeah, well, I did them with uh, Prime Wood um, in 2016 and 17, and then sort of parted ways with them for a while. We focused on stereo, and uh, then we did some on our own called The Folklore Project, and um. Yeah, it's just a nod to our old graphics. You know, we wanted to figure out a, a way to homage them, but not do them spot on every single time, which seems sort so of boring. So, like, different colors? Yeah, or... just different updates. Like, you know, I've got, like, a standing baby coming out with, like, the Bowie stripe on his face. Oh, yeah. um, and we did, like, an updated Grinch board. We did, gosh, the the baby, in my, my case, has had, like, eight incarnations. <laughs> um, in Jay Lee's stuff, we try to, like add something like the foghorn had his hat and a pipe or something or a camera around his neck and the dune character the um the big red character had the glasses like me you know so we try to just add it modernize it and make it fun and um have them be limited and yeah people people go nuts for that stuff for some reason i guess because it's not it doesn't stick around that long so everybody's like i want it (laughs) it's like that supreme mentality like what do you guys do you guys like make a hundred and number them or yeah sign and number them for a lot of them um i just did a dune the standing baby there's only 30 of the ogs and they like blew out in like eight minutes or something like that and then there was um paint your own it was like the standing baby but white it comes with with an acrylic paint set and we'd had like 50 set aside for the web and 30 for shops or whatever it was and all the web ones sold so now there's going to be another 30 at some shops eventually but um yeah people go nuts for that type of stuff and especially that era of stuff like the early 90s i'm sure it'll change but right now people go nuts for the early 90s stuff what's the good number like is a hundred what you usually Um, do or how many would you? i mean i would say if well, we, we, the Folklore Project's sort of on hold, and I'm working with Prime Wood, you know, just doing a few releases at a time, nothing major. I'm not back in the building, like, at a desk job or anything. I'm just sort of doing some limited releases with them. Uh-huh. And um, it's rad, you know, the owner, Scott, is just do whatever you want type of thing. Um, and I'd say, safely, if you're shipping the shops and distributors, which is always ideal, four to six hundred you could do oh, of a like okay. a popular release and that's uh-huh. distributors getting it shops getting it you know but if it's web Can only number- if it's web only it's like more like one or two hundred you know sure um but i like the shops to get some of them and i like the distributors to get them so i try to we try to have one that's maybe a web exclusive and there's like 50 and then ne- so next time we hook up the shops and the distributors and do 300 you know so they can yeah. get some so okay yeah that's sort no, of the i'm pattern. a big supporter of the shops i i've been yeah. re- especially with this covid thing i've been getting into it like I, I i was buying like one to two shirts from different shops every week yeah just trying to like be, be supported because man yeah it's tough skate there, shops dude. yeah fuck no Come it's on. i'm i'm brainstorming on some stuff with everyone i work with as well it's, it's bleak times man and let's hope it doesn't get any bleaker it seems like we kind of plateaued with this 
COVID madness. So hopefully, uh, yeah, things can get back to normal. I can feel yeah. it day by day. It's getting a little more normal. Yeah. We got to keep that positive energy and totally. it's just, and yeah, stag- with the shops, I always fight for like staggering releases. Like, yeah, if we do one board release, it's like 50 boards web only. That's fine. But then the next one, I try to like do the big J Lee or the big Musco or whatever, like my Dune Bowie. I want to make that available to shops cause it's going to be the most popular one or whatever, you know, right. but the okay. more limited things that we're like, ah, oh, it's kind of cool. You know, like, yeah. and, and the reissues, I'm not really in the market to make like 3,000 standing baby boards, you know, like I want it to be special and I want everybody that has them to be like, this is cool. I had this board and I have it again, you know. Well, um, that's kind of, that's what I was wondering is where is kind of like the, the, tap, the board like the cut off, <laughs> like 300 or less. This feels special. Yeah. A thousand. It's not. 300 right? about that. This is still special. Yeah. You know, anywhere from three to 500 because there's so many shops and distributors and distributors, especially like every distributor, every distributor will take 20 of something if it's hot, you know, so in distributors alone, you could sell 200 boards, you know, now you're down to 300, you sell 100 on your website, now there's 200 for shops. Right. So there's the easy math of a limited drop. <laughs> and then the time and, and shipping and all that yeah. stuff. It's like the more you do, the bigger the, <laughs> the bigger the project it is. Totally. Yeah, we're trying uh-huh. to get creative like with the acrylic paint thing and you know, That's trying to cool. package like things that. with a print or whatever. So trying to make it special. Yeah. How rad. And hopefully dabble with some of that with, with stereo being really special and reissues as we head towards um, the 30-year anniversary. Dude fuck yeah yep um do you have time i got just a few more sure okay red i got you <laughs> i hijacked a parking block from home depot I'm, I'm, I'm locked in for the quarantine i got what I've i need seen it. i'm jealous <laughs> i i got an apartment so i got nothing <laughs> dude i can't tell you we go back there pretty much every day at dusk like it's a little early but about five o'clock Dooney will come strolling in can we go outside and we either skate or play basketball or both I seen him hooping, dude. He's he's hooping hard. That he's rules. hooping hard, and he like he he calls himself following me. Like if I hit the curb and then hit the quarter pipe, he runs and jumps, and he does like inverts. It's like a layback invert. He puts both hands on the coping and like inverts his back and then flips over, and he does like airs and stuff. But he's just running. It's just he's like, do it. I'm gonna go after you. Um, you know, because on his board he's like. He's stable. He could stand on it and roll, but you know he'd rather sure. just jump through the air and pretend to be doing like bonelesses and stuff. Pretty oh, funny. Oh man, he treats Dude, it like that... a parkour gym. <laughs> He's loving it. I'm like, hey, as long as you're happy, dude, I'm not gonna force you to do anything. Has there been anybody that you've kind of leaned on in the beginning days of fatherhood to kind of help you learn? Man, I think probably Rodney, you know, my godbrother, because he's, okay. you know, he's been there. He multiple, was a dad yeah, already. He's, he's got yeah. three kids, and so he's been through it all. Um, and it was a lot of just trial and error, honestly. Like, Jason Adams occasionally I'd talk to, you know, like fellow parent um, sure. skater. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't make that many, like, Batman-like calls with having a kid. I just <laughs> went for it, man. <laughs> but you know what's crazy Fuck. is, like... Um, my, I grew up, Rod's mom was like a nanny. And so my godmom D was like a nanny. So it was a constant stream of little kids coming through. And I had three nieces from Rodney and they were like my little girls, you know, and I would babysit them and go play and make sure no one fought. And, you know, I sort of was like the older brother of them. 
And it's funny, man. Uh, I can't remember. Someone's told me once, um, I think it was Hunter from Nike or someone said to me once, dude, you've been a team manager your whole life. It's the same thing as being a father, except oh. now you're caring for your own kid. And it made so much, I thought about it so much. Like, I was like, huh, it's kind of true. Like, we've kind of like, yeah, letting Dustin Dolan stay with me for six months. You know what I mean? Like, that was a project, you know? I love Dustin. <laughs> but like, Trujillo would come over and crash on my, you know, like, these yeah. kids were like 14, 15 years old, you know? And we're like, yeah, we'll get you fed. Uh -huh. Come on, let's go to Eddie's, you know? Yeah. And like, I think that has a lot to do with it. You just have this innate, like, gene to care for others. Greg Hunt is another person in the thick of it going his kid our kids are the same age so we connected dot the dots real early on like there's photos yeah. of julian and henry when they were like one and yeah just been kind of like read up on it a bit and just sort of try to you know do the right thing as i knew best from my parents and my godmother is it uh i've always heard sleep when you can yeah and, that's, and just that's probably patient. the hardest one because they <laughs> i mean because properly for a kid his age, you want to get them to sleep at like seven thirty, eight o'clock, you know, but then they wake up at like 6, you know. So if you try yeah. to do your regular routine, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, kids will sleep. I'll see you guys at the bar. Or like, yeah, start, I call them like HBO nights. If I have an HBO night and I'm there watching like, or like, I'll watch a 30 for 30 and then I'll watch five 30 for 30s. Next thing I know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> He's going to come bouncing on my head at 6. Oh. It's almost like having a hangover with no hangover. You know I mean? Right. <laughs> but I don't you get know used how to it, man. You get used to it. That's like tolerable. The fun is way. The fun outweighs the sleeplessness. You learn that you don't need that much sleep, really. <laughs> sure. I mean, just like everything else, if you're driven, sleep's not a problem. But yeah. once it's like a pain, then you're like, I need sleep. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. You struggle for it. Yeah. And I got lucky, man. Trip. I always like had dreams of having a kid that like was into basketball and skateboarding and hung out with my friends. And, you know, some kids come out and don't want to hang with their, with their, their parents' friends or don't like the same sports or music or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, I lucked out, man. Dude right. from day one has been like a mini me. He's like, he's exactly like my godmom said, you just had energy all day long. You didn't sleep and you didn't eat. And that's pretty much Henry. You got to like calm him down. Be like, here, dude, what, what can I feed you? You got to put like three things in front of him and be like, stop slow down he just uh, wants to be bouncing off the walls doesn't want to stop or sleep or yeah. eat so we're we're very similar that way <laughs> so i get uh, his psychology now i eat and sleep but i guess when i was a kid i didn't um totally How yeah old is it's, he? it's awesome man it's uh he's five okay so yeah and the homeschooling thing has been a whole nother level of parenting like that's been a challenge because i'm trying to take work calls and teach him sure. you know math and english at the same time most days um but it's fun I learned that I, I could be a substitute teacher if I ever needed to. <laughs> mm. I think I've got the yeah. chops from homeschooling the last two months. I think every parent has. It's interesting, though. The patience thing I notice a lot. Like uh, when I went down and stayed with Burnett, I was like, man, nothing really rattles you. And he's like, dude, once you have kids, yeah. it's like this stuff is easy. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, that's true. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I guess I could apply that to like, the broadcast stuff like nothing really rattles me you know like right it's just kind of like all right turn on the red light let's go <laughs> yeah so that's what i was uh wondering about is um with the pandemic they canceled all the events and everything yeah. and uh was there ever any talk about like how they're talking about baseball and basketball without crowds was there any talk you about know, let's I, 
I, I think some of those conversations are happening. Um, I got so busy with like just homeschooling that I didn't really chase everybody down for answers. I was kind of like, I need a breath to get this dialed in. Um, and I, I traveled so much last summer. I, w- I was almost burnt out. Like right. I would just go from one trip, be home for five, four or five days, just barely get in a rhythm with my kid, get on the air- airplane. You know, I was yeah. like traveling two, three weeks out of the month. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a blessing. Like, I love the work and opportunity, um, but I was away from my family so much. So sure. this year, I was kind of like, shit, it hurts financially, but at least I'm getting to spend this time, quality time with my kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I, I haven't been on a ton of the calls. I know, like, people like Dutour are just trying to stay occupied with content, you know, and Red Bull's always trying to stay occupied with content because they there's no answer. I don't think anyone knows, you know. X Games sure. just canceled. We're not having it, you know. Yeah. So, um, and I think there's a tentative date for Vans Park Series, but everybody's kind of holding their breath, going, "I don't know," <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, I know. I know that they were talking about like basketball games, like without the crowds. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe like all of them in the same state. Yeah. Like all the, t- it would almost be like a tournament instead sure. of having your home, yep. you know, but I don't know. It does seem like, of course I love sports, yeah. but at the same time you're like, is this the priority? Like risking people, you know, like <laughs> yeah, life from is both very, sides. no, for sure. Yeah. Man. It's so it's interesting. You got to take calculated risks and you know, were you going to be a part in any way of the Olympics? You know, I, it's funny because I didn't, I, ha, I talked to Josh Friedberg a couple times. I did one of those USA Skate events and uh-huh. then he had given me the email for the guy that was World Skate and that's right around the time COVID hit because I, I it was like February, March. I was going to reach out, but again, I wasn't dying to get on the road because last year I started in like February, March. I did an, a February event in Estonia and then I had a breather and then we had Phoenix Am, and then I was off to the races. I wasn't home until, like, fall, you know, <laughs> which was great. I mean, I'm thank God I was that busy, but, like, this year I wanted it a little different, so I was kind of stoked to not hear the phone ring right away. I was like, okay, I'm going to hang out a little bit and hang out with my kid, you know, and be a dad. And, yeah, so I, I don't know. And I've heard different conversations, like they're going to try to have contests with no crowds. I think I think Dutour is working on that. Um but I don't think anyone knows for sure, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's a big question mark. A, yeah. It's just a whole new learning. Pro- like, you know, we're acclimated to figuring this out now. How do yeah. we do it like this? It's a very different thing. So we'll see. I was going to ask you, who are we giving credit for re-injecting the slappy? Whew. The slappy became real hot again. Um, and, uh, I got to say, I mean, I'll credit Jason Adams for never like, Dropping that baton, like (laughs) always being there and always being the slappy dude. Um, Uh For me, it literally was tied to fatherhood. Like I had limited time. I'd be like, okay, so I have 45 minutes to skate, you know, and be like, hmm, should I skate this park or whatever? Like I could go to this park, but it'd take me, I could go to Belvedere, but it'd take me 30 minutes to get there. I'd get out of the car, do three scratch grinds, get back in the car. So I started like, my world got real small, <laughs> you know? Are, are, are you close to Home Depot? <laughs> Super close, like a mile. Okay. And then Costco okay. is like two miles. Oh. Um, so it was literally like, you know, 
we're parents out here with no family. And Gina's like, okay, yeah, you know, when the baby first came. He was, when he was born, I went from the hospital to Huntington Beach for Van Doren Invitational. Literally, no sleep, two days to the booth. I remember that. <laughs> like, yeah, is that a kid? Hey, Neil, how you doing? Oh, yeah, I remember let's go. That. I have not seen any of practice. Uh, just had a baby. Yeah. No, literally, <laughs> like three hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, I got home from that trip, and then, you know, it, it was a rough pregnancy for Gina, um, just, you know, being a little bit up there in age, and, you know, we didn't have anyone to lean on, no babysitters at first or anything. So I literally would have like 45 minutes. So I'd started skating curbs, even just ones around my house. Like they were not that great. Just going, I don't have that much time. How can I have as much fun as I would going to like Belvedere Park or Garvanza, like, but being near home. And then, and I'd, I had all those slappy tricks back in the world days. And even before that, like East Coasters skated curbs, especially Jersey kids, you know. So it was yeah. just like tapping back into the mem in, into the memory banks, and all of a sudden I'm doing all my nollie lip slide variations, and you know all the slappy tricks, switch slappies, everything's like coming back, you know. Um, uh. And I, I first at, at first I was self conscious about posting the stuff. I was like, for all the stereo fans out there, this is gonna be like they're gonna be like, what is Dune doing back at the curbs? <laughs> but it was actually like the opposite. Like people were like, dude. We got a jack knee, or we're parents too. We love this. Keep it coming. Yeah. Like, there was so many, like, 30, 40 something year old parents or just workers that were like, I love this because I can, like, do it two hours a week and still, like, feel involved, you know, and, like, still progress. Um, right. So I think it's an every man thing, you know? Like, not everyone can do a frontside invert on, an, on a vert ramp, but anyone can board slide a curb yeah. with, like, dedication. <laughs> you know what I mean? And with the DIY mentality, it's just been super rad to see people creating like Home Depot, like yeah. those little up and downs on the curb totally. and, and just like some other shit around yeah, it. And like lot, all of like, a sudden you got a little line to it's like wax in the target curb in their town or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love getting tagged in that stuff, too, because people are like, yeah, man, thanks for getting me off the couch or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah. like inspiration. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a cool journey. I had no idea it would be people would take to it in the way they did, though. You know, totally. I was just making do. Wanted to skate with all I had. <laughs> Shout out to Justin Strubing Shout because out. Uh, he, brought, he brought me to Home Depot when I was in LA, and man, I love <laughs> watching a power slide into a tail slide onto the curb. Oh, like dude. The, he does shit, fucking. Every, he's like real. Sasquatch, man. When you see him, he's like he never ages. He's like just blazing, doing all the same tricks. Like, oh yeah, can Smiling party all night days. and still skate like a madman. None of us can it's do that a, anymore. No, it's insane. Yeah, slow it down. You're making happiest us look guy bad. on earth. Yeah, I love it. Uh, okay, well, um, we're winding down. Uh, I wanted to get a quick little couple lists. Um, one would be like jazz for beginners. What kind of jazz stuff are, should we all know about? Start with, I would say, let's see with jazz. I would start, you know, the classic, the essentials from the essentials, which is like, to me, probably like Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, Charles Mingus. You start with those three and like dabble with other stuff like experimental jazz, Coltrane, John Coltrane. Is Bitches um, Brew the one for... It's bitches brew is a little out there, you know. Um, 
that's probably that's like more experimental jazz but you know if you just like go to itunes and get like the essential of whatever like you're you're not going to get steered wrong you know um and it's weird in this digital age i like i don't play vinyl anymore so like it's that stuff isn't that like readily available anymore i'll have to remind myself like oh yeah, oh, yeah. Like, you know bitches brew or whatever you know um sure Man- mingus Aum, that's a great album there's so many good ones man but i'd My say that was billy cobham Oh, okay. I don't know Billy, huh? He's sick. Huh. I want to know song titles. I, I got, I, I'll, I'll make you a good list. But like I said, start with the powerhouses. Like okay. those guys are, I think to me, um, I've always thought Monk, he's a piano player. He okay. really, to me, encapsulates everything that a jazz, like aficionado is. He's fucking nuts. He's a genius. He doesn't follow any order. Um, he's super creative but he's also very like classically trained so he can jump back and like woo you in with something that sounds almost classical um mm. he's like my gons of jazz you know Thelonious Monk okay um, fuck yeah yeah and we've actually reached out to the Monk estate like I would love to do a collaboration with them one of these days wow we're gonna fru- put that in the in the ether in the fruition out 30th there 30th anniversary with <laughs> the Monk That's yeah sweet. and and Coltrane wow. too man Coltrane's another heavy um, yeah. And they just did a documentary a couple years ago with Coltrane. It's Chasing the Train, I think it's called. That's, oh. that's a must-see. And that'll, okay. that'll hip you we, to some other jazz cats of that time. Um, we just saw the Miles laps. documentary. It was that's really so good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. Okay, we'll look for this Coltrane. Cause, uh, we're, so that's my next question. Me and my fiance are watching, or we're trying to watch a different documentary every day during this COVID. Yeah. We've watched like 40 documentaries. It's the, fucking the Ming, awesome. Mingus has a crazy one. I think it's Beneath the Belly of the Underdog, it's called. Oh. It's also the title of a book. Um, and that one's crazy, dude. He's just like in a loft shooting off shotguns. Like he's getting evicted during the documentary. And he's, he's, I mean, he's really smart. He's not like dumb. He's super intelligent, but he's just like, I don't know, just like a idiot savant coming out, like just like saying all these like uh, esoteric things and playing on his piano and getting evicted all at the same time. It's, it's a crazy documentary. Um, jacket. Yeah. I think it's beneath the belly of the underdog and, and the monk monk has a good documentary as well. And that's okay. on Netflix and I think it's on iTunes for sure. And okay. that's, that's a must-see. That's so from like Mingus, the last 10 Monk years. Monk, and Coltrane. Yeah, those are like the okay. heavyweights. And that's a good okay. place. There's, there's the Art Blakey's, the Sonny Rollins. There's like, you could go on forever, you know. Yeah. Um, but those guys, and they were like overlapped with all the other guys. You know what I mean? So you'll find a, a, a Miles album playing with almost anybody because he was playing for how many? 30 some odd years with all the yeah. best jazz greats. So, so sick. Yeah. Have you watched anything like not jazz, but like any other documentaries or movies or Netflix series? Have you been doing like during this time? Have you? Been- I got really into the Last Dance, the uh, oh. Michael Jordan, the Michael yeah. Jordan story with the Bulls. I got so sucked good. into that man. That was that was some shit. Yeah, some heavy shit. Um, so and I loved good. it. Yeah, and now they're coming out with some thirty thir- for thirties. I want to see like the Bruce Lee one. I'm dying to see. No so, way! I didn't even mm-hmm. know about that. Yeah. Fuck. Okay, rad. <laughs> yeah, but I'd say that, and I went through all the jazz documentaries again, like recently, <laughs> like the ones you named, and a couple, like the Monk one, and we rewatched those. Um, Ken Burns Jazz. When you ask me about where to start for anybody that wants to learn about jazz, that's where to start. 
because he goes okay. through the history. He doesn't touch everyone, but he really explains like where it was born, like Port of New Orleans and how, you know, the African influences, who the heavyweights were, and does these transitions. It's, it's genius. So start okay. with uh, Ken Burns Jazz. And I, I'm right. getting beckoned to... Uh, all right, we Little got dude's that's, got got a number two situation going on. <laughs> okay, that's that's our uh, cue, um, dude. I could talk to you forever. I know, um, right? Hey, I'm, I'll come back anytime, dude. Thanks so much for spending the time. Much um, love and respect, is, Greg. Is there what song should I end with to take us out of here? Um, Coltrane, um, my favorite things. Coltrane, yeah. Take All it right. out on that, Chris. My favorite thing again. Fucking big love. <laughs> love you, Stay brother. Stay safe, and hopefully I'll see you in real yes. in real life, as the kids say. Our, our love to the Thrasher fam, too, man. Yeah, back at you. Tell love you guys. Tony, Gwen, stereo. love you. All right. Cheers. Peace. Later, brother. Later.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.